Hey everybody, it's Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And you join us on the 17th of April of 2022. Um, coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about the Garcias uh, making a return, uh, the sequel to Brothers Garcia from on HBO Max. We're going to talk about Power Man Plus and it's uh, Legend of Korra's 10th anniversary. Uh, we're going to pay tribute to Gilbert Gottfried uh, coming up later on the show. Uh, the Nimona movie is alive, would you believe? Coming up in 2023, we'll tell you all about that too. Uh, the 22 short films about Springfield is 26 years old and also another 26th anniversary is James the Giant Peach. Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter. We're going to tell you the latest on that. Uh, Bandai Namco is going to be working on a Nintendo remake. We're going to guess which one that might be. We're going to give you our post thoughts on Jimmy Neutron from In Search of the Crystal Skull. And then we're going to go into our spoiler session for the Owl House and Amphibia. You are listening to Aaron and Patricia once again on the 17th of April of 2022. Patricia, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Yeah, so as I mentioned uh, earlier that we are doing Nicktoons Movie Month for In Search of the Crystal Skull. So uh, you are interested in checking that out, then you can check it out on YouTube. I'll be uploading that on the podcast feed fairly soon. And um, I do have some episodes of casual chats that are in development at the moment, but uh, right now, nothing yet. So yeah, just keep on tuning in to In Search of the Crystal Skull on Fridays. Cool. Okay, um, now, our, our news is kind of mixed up a little bit, so this isn't necessarily our top story. I think, we're basically, um, we didn't get a chance to kind of, like, you know, put all the news in order, so apologies if uh, things seem a bit out of order, really. But uh, we're going to start off with uh, quite interesting news, is that uh, the first three episodes of the Brothers Garcia revival, the Garcias, uh, are now streaming on HBO Max. So, um, I've got to be honest with you, though, like, uh, it's a Nickelodeon show, and, uh, I mean, I, I think it was just kind of a bit after my time. I think uh, for Nickelodeon I mean like uh, um, I don't remember all that much about the show I remember like uh, one of the uh, characters had like you know this really cool like um, bedroom with like you know the uh, the shuttle like uh, on, on, on there and uh, I remember like uh, when they were like doing some behind the scenes stuff apparently they had to keep like breaking every time they were doing scenes because and they, like uh, they, were in this show, they were shooting next to an airport so like planes would keep flying over the house that's sort of what I can remember and then they did, like, an episode where they, like, uh, had, uh, like, they were trying to put a band together or something like that, and, like, uh, the family had, like, this orange bandango or something kind of, like, uh, you know, uh, um, um, band together or something like that. I've got to be honest, it's, it's not all that fresh in my mind, so, like, uh, I can't really say I'm nostalgic for it, but uh, I'm guessing all the fans who loved the show back in the day, I guess they should be happy that it's coming back. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because The Brothers Garcia, for those who don't know, was a Nickelodeon sitcom that aired from 2000 to 2004. It, uh, it's about a Latino-American family who lives in San Antonio, Texas, and it recalls on the life of one of the characters named Larry. He recalls on his life where he was growing up with his brothers and sister and going through their everyday struggles with growing up and trying to go through school and a whole bunch of other things things. Now, this show was kind of groundbreaking for its time because it was one of the very first shows, at least for Nickelodeon, that was written, produced, directed, and starred Hispanics in a time in which when uh, there wasn't a lot of Hispanic representation on television, especially for a young audience. And so, Unless it was Spanish uh, soap operas. I remember those pretty clearly. Yeah, vividly. exactly. Yeah, unless it was Spanish soap operas, but not for like a uh, an American um, you know, network. So, yeah, kind of like before the George Lopez 
Hernandez show and various other TV shows that featured uh, Hispanics, the Brothers Garcia was kind of like that. And a lot of people described it as like the Wonder Years, but for Hispanics. And I can kind of see that because Larry narrates about his life and about what he's going through in the perspective of an adult who's voiced by John Leguizamo. And um, the show lasted for about four seasons and it had about uh, 52 episodes and it even had a TV movie. So um, it's kind of interesting because um, this is a show that has kind of been forgotten since then. It's kind of like the pre-Nickelodeon uh, sitcoms that came out before Dan Schneider started like taking over everything. Because whenever that you see people talking about like their favorite sitcoms of the 2000s for Nickelodeon, they always bring up the same thing. Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, Victorious, iCarly. Uh, the only exception that was not created by Dan Schneider that a lot of people remember is Nancy Classified. But yeah, this one kind of like just got lost in the shuffle along with other shows from the 2000s like Caitlin's Way and Taina and various others. But yeah, it's kind of funny because when this show was announced that it was getting a sequel series, people were just like, huh, that show existed or really or meh. So nobody was really excited about it or they just completely forgot that it even existed. So very few people were even remotely interested in a, about um, a sequel series because, I mean, we've seen a lot of Nickelodeon shows that have been brought back. I mean, we talked about this with iCarly in which that has been brought back and that had gotten the internet exploding. And then we talked about like, oh, they're bringing Double Dare back. They're bringing Legends of the Hidden Temple back. And yeah, a lot of people were really excited about that. But when it came to like the Garcia's, People were like, oh, okay, that that's yeah. coming back. Don't you get the feeling like of every good turn that a Nickelodeon takes, it takes a really bad turn, don't you kind of think? Like, you know, just it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Garcias, I mean, I'm sure there are fa fans of the Brothers Garcias out there, but uh, I probably imagine there's not very many of them. And uh, as you probably imagine, yeah, I didn't hear really hear him. I've only really just heard about this now, that they were putting a show together, and now the first three episodes are up. Which is kind of like, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of not great for a show when you really think about it in regards to hype. Because, like, wouldn't you, like, put the first episode up and then, like, get everyone to wait, like, a week for the second episode? Kind of like what we're seeing with the Owl House and Amphibia at the moment. Like, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, I, I get it's a new show and, like, uh, they probably want to get, like, a bit of hype going for it. So, like, oh, hey, here's three episodes. Like, that's a quite a quite a bit of uh, helping, really, for, like, uh, people yeah, who... Yeah, like, I mean, we saw the reaction when The Proud Family Louder and Prouder was announced. A lot of people were really excited about it, and then it got, like, really popular on social media. And uh, when, uh, as mentioned before, iCarly was uh, announced for bring, uh, of being brought back. A lot of people were, like, really excited about it. But, yeah, the Garcias just wasn't really one that a lot of people were excited about. I mean, nobody demanded a revival or a sequel series to the Brothers Garcia. I mean, we talked about this that... Um, yeah, but I mean, like, it's not necessarily, like, a, a negative thing. Like, I mean, like, at least it's better than saying, you know, oh, hey, we're going to bring Fanboy and Chum Chum back, and it's kind of like, get out. It's like, you know, it's kind of exactly. like not that reaction. It's kind of like, it's more like a, meh. It's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like if uh, Disney announced that they were going to bring Doug back. You know, like, it was just kind of like, it could be kind of like, well, all right, you know, like, uh, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it, it is a, a nostalgic show, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, justify, you know, brand new seasons or like yeah, or anything I mean, like it, that. It had, a, it had a really good run. It had four seasons. It had a TV movie. And I, I'm sure for a lot of people, 
back then they really did enjoy it. I mean, personally for me, I think it's an okay show. I mean, it wasn't like necessarily, I mean, it was groundbreaking in terms of like, you know, the fact that a lot of Hispanics, you know, they got their start there. They got their start in producing and directing and acting. That's great. But story wise, it's like a lot of people say, I mean, I kind of agree. It's like the wonder years, except for the Hispanic cast. And I mean, there were some good things about it, but I mean, nothing that I can generally say, Oh, you really need to watch this show. So yeah. Like, and also like going back to like the original show again, like it's just a, it's just a blur. Like, you know, like I understand it went for four years and had like, you know, 52 episodes and, uh, you know, maybe it probably will be worth a revisit again to see if there actually was anything there. But, uh, you know, right now for, for, for me, I'm going through like uh, I got recently got a Disney Plus subscription like you know last year and uh, right now I'm just uh, I'm marathoning through like all the Disney show the animated Disney shows I used to grow up with back in the day just to kind of like see if like uh, they still hold up to this day. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sort of kind of still doing that. I mean, so I've got a long way to go before I can justify having a Disney a Paramount Plus subscription. And uh, you know, here's the thing about this: like it's. it's with all the announcements that are coming out, like, I get there's some good shows on HBO Max, and I, I get there's some, like, you know, good nostalgic content on there, but, I mean, like, look, look some of the newer stuff, like, you know, no one's excited for the Garcias, and, oh, good grief, the, that Fairly Odd Parents uh, revival has completely gone down like a fart in church. Go oh, yeah, okay, okay. That is a, an, a prime example of, like, oh, let's bring a sequel series back, and it just, oh, my God, everybody is hating on it. That show is just, like, a complete failure. I, I think, I think Saber Spark said about. it best, and by the way, I think I might bring up Saber Spark quite a few times in the show, because uh, did you hear what happened recently with him in regards to that NFT, move, that NFT uh, monkey show? That, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah they, they, that, they yeah. referenced him in the in the show, and he thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, they called him what, like saber fart or something, something like that. Yeah, but now everyone's doing fan art of that, and everyone, he thinks it's hilarious. So like, that, uh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Anyway, so let me just read you the brief synopsis of what the show is about. The Garcias is a next generation sequel series of the 2000 Nickelodeon sitcom The Brothers Garcia. Ray and Sonia Garcia are now the elders of a massive family with sons Carl. Carlos, George, Larry, and their daughter, uh, Lorena, all grown up with families of their own. So basically, they are uh, on a, um, a vacation in Mexico, where Carlos invests in apps that hilariously monitors bodily functions, and um, Carlos has a great idea for a translation app that George doesn't want to listen to, but also grabs from the idea that their older daughter, Alexa, wants to be an artist and not a scientist, like her younger daughter. And back in San Antonio, Ray and Sonia are getting ready to visit their family in Mexico, bringing Lorena's son with them. She has to stay behind and work because she's a weather forecaster for a local TV station and her husband is in the military. And when Ray interrupts one of her live remotes, she's embarrassed at work by her jerky anchor. It's tough with her husband, Julian, uh, who is deployed overseas. And uh, Larry is on the International Space Station. So, yeah, basically what it's trying to say is, is that the characters that we knew from this early shows, that we knew them as teenagers, Teenagers and young kids, uh, George, Carlos, Arena, and Larry, they're off and they have their own families. They're off and doing their own things and they're gathering together so that they can be able to um, see each other for the first time in a while. So it's, 
definitely scratching the same itch as you would expect Fuller House or um, Raven's Home or all those other sequel series where you get to see, oh yeah, these are the characters that you knew 20 or 30 years ago and now um, their kids have kids of their own and now we're back together again. So yeah, they're definitely going into that same uh, routine that we've been seeing over the past decade in which like, oh, you know, these characters that we knew from a long time ago, now they have families of their own and let's see what they're up to now in the 21st century. So You know something, I'm just realizing something like, uh, do you remember a while back ago when uh, we were talking about like, hey, Arnold, like sequel shows? Like, yes. you know, like, you know, like the Patakis and like, you know, like, oh, well, what if uh, we had, you know, a show that would uh, start Arnold and Helga's kids and things like that, you know, like, uh, we were, you know, talking about that. And, uh, you know, um, Craig, I think, was telling me that. I think some studios just said that, that they didn't think that it was like ideas are going to fly. Good grief. Fast forward, like, you know, 10 years. And now here we are with like all the Raven's Home, you know, Girl Meets World. Uh, um, what other shows are currently, you know, uh, um, the, the, yeah, the Garcia, Fuller House. Good grief, they're full now. Like, you know, it's, I don't know how I would feel now about Hey Arnold coming back as a, a sequel show where, you know, we it's basically just focusing on Arnold and Helga as a family. Like, yeah, uh, and this is a huge trope in anime as well, where, oh, we get to see what the um, the kids, uh, you know, what their um, families are nowadays. I mean, we've seen this in Dragon Ball with Dragon Ball Z. We've seen this with Naruto and Boruto Naruto Next Generations. We've seen this with Inuyasha with Yashihime Demon Princess. So, yeah, this is also a trope in anime as well. But it's also, it's, a trope in, it's starting to become a trope in animation too, because, like, we have Legend of Korra that we're going to talk about later on in the show too. So, like, in fact, it's going to yeah. be on next subject but you know like unfortunately <laughs> yes. i mean sorry guys like we're just not excited for the garcias like it's just it's uh it's another show on paramount plus it's kind of like well it doesn't really justify me taking money well, out of my it, bank account hey, every month for it. this is not on paramount plus that's the it, thing uh, HBO that Max, people... sorry i'm, I'm sorry exactly, yeah. but yeah. again that's, like that's, it's, it's an it's another thing. This is something that you would expect to see on Paramount Plus, but no, for some reason, and I have no idea why, it's on HBO Max. It's like, wait a minute, this is a Nickelodeon show. Why isn't this on Paramount Plus? I have absolutely no idea. But again, like, it's it's not something that would justify me to pick up HBO Max and put put some money into a pot for like you know a month to uh to go watch it. I'm not excited for it really. Like, you know, I've been yeah, worried. About, you, you, I, okay, here's the thing. I, I just pulled up the Decider article, and um, it, here's the the, the question that they ask are you planning on streaming or skipping the garcias 34 percent said stream it 32 percent said skip it 34 percent said i just want to see the results wow like it's just it's uh uh, I mean, like, I get, uh, there's probably some people who are massive, you know, it's funny, like, you know, we say that no one's really interested in the Garcias, but I guarantee you in the comments section somewhere, there's going to be people saying, well, I'm a fan of the, of the Brothers Garcia, and I want to see what happened with the Garcias, good for you, but, you know, for me and Patricia, like, uh, I mean, um, we, we didn't really grow up with the, with the Brothers Garcia, so, like, uh, we, really. we, I mean, we I don't, was already, yeah. like, in my teenage years, and I did see, like, a handful of episodes, and even, uh, you know, when I was, like, um, you know, a teenager, and then I started re-watching it for the Nickelodeon tribute back uh, around 2012, and, no, it was uh, two, 2011, that's when it was, because that's when the Nickelodeon tribute was, like, in its um, uh, formation, so, yeah, I mean, it, not to say that it's not a bad show, I mean, it's just, like, it's nothing really grand breaking about it other than okay it features a hispanic cast and it has um people who are hispanic who are directing and producing and that's fantastic i'm really happy for them but yeah i mean as like story wise and character wise it's pretty generic yeah 
And, uh, and it's wait, so considering that this was greenlit, but then when Melissa Joan Hart recently talked about a Clarissa Explains It All sequel series slash reboot, she said, oh, that was canceled because of new management. So let me get this straight. So the Clarissa Explains It All sequel series slash reboot that a lot of people were really excited about got canceled because Brian Robbins took over and he wasn't interested in it. And then you have... Um, the Brothers Garcia, which is a show that was, you know, there around the 2000s, but not one of the talking points, that gets revived for HBO Max. So, interesting, huh? Yeah, like, imagine it just, imagine to be a fly on the wall at Nickelodeon Studios at the moment. Like, uh, or like, you know, making the decisions over HBO, I, you know, just to listen to all these people, like, you know, kind of make their justifications for this. Like, here's the thing about this, like, you know, if uh, if Melissa Joan Hart, like, demanded, like, a ton of money to, like, do the show, that would be understandable. And if the, uh, you know, the Brothers Garcia basically just wanted, like, you know, uh, you know a cheese sandwich and, like, you know, to do, like, a series, then fair enough. Like, obviously, you're going to choose one over the other. But, uh, I mean, at the same time, like, you got to kind of measure how interested people are going to be to watch this product. And uh, right now, you've got, uh, you know, people who aren't really all that interested in the Garcia's, and people just, you know, just lambasting uh, the Fairly Odd Parents revival at the moment. Like, I- I'd be very surprised if this gets a se- gets a gets another season after the way people are like, you know, reacted to the Fairly Odd Parents. And so, <laughs> exactly. it's just, it's just, you know, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a good, it's not a good look. To be honest with you, at the minute, like uh, I, I don't see why people should get excited about the Garcias at the minute. Like it's just it's a you know if anything they need to. Uh, I mean obviously they're always going to you know, the sponge is always going to like you know bail them out of any problem that he always does. But uh, at the same time, like uh, in regards to like other new content or like any revived content, like this was not the way to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they wanted to bring a show back, I mean, you can't just like, oh, pick something uh, random and they like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that that show has a fan base. Like, let's bring it back. Or we know that this show has a fan base. So let's just do the absolute lowest form of bringing a show back so that people can be able to tune in. I've seen a lot of reactions from people saying like, oh, the animation is even worse than the original. Or wait a minute, Vicky and Mr. Crocker are dating what? And then there's also the fact that, um, let's be honest, I mean, The Fairly Odd Parents has been off the rails a long time ago. I, I mean, was going to say, I think, I think Butch Hartman's lost his mind at this point. I think he's gone the Frank Miller route at this point, like, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, his creations. And, uh, by the way, how's that uh, streaming service turning out? Oh, yeah, Oaxis, yeah, the one that he kickstarted and that he didn't tell anybody it was for uh, a Christian, um, you know, uh, uh, audience. Oh, of course he didn't. He of course he did. Yeah. Like, and then you know, he was talking about how, oh, um, you know, we're going to be the ones to take down all of these streaming services. You know, ours is going to be really popular. I wonder if he's expecting the Daily Wire to bail him out. Bail him out. Like, I, uh, have, I have no idea. Because, you know, they, they're, anyway, put, they're putting in, like, what, $100 million, I think, uh, for that. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I think one thing that they've been doing with their movies and their content is that they've basically been, um, you know, um, um, you know, forking them out to like third parties, and like uh, so, they brought in like uh, you know some like some kind of Russian companies like to do some of their 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 like movies and stuff. And so, I mean, like, uh, what are they going to like uh, go to Bajama and say, oh hey, well we've uh, got this place for you to like do animation, and you know you can do it for the kids. You know, like uh, just don't bring any of that woke stuff in. You know, I'm sure Butch Harmon would happily be in- involved in that. 
I would have always oh imagined. Oh my god, yeah. Anyway, but um, so yeah, for for those who were expecting for us to be excited about the Garcias, I mean, we are happy for the the people who are uh, who originally worked on the show to be to come back. I did, but, yeah. Let me let me put that in. Like, we we're, we're not as we're not putting any ill will to like people who want to do the show. Like, you know, it's uh, if they want to do it, then good for them. But uh, I yeah. mean, as far as me and Patricia are concerned, we're not interested. Yeah, unless, of course, if they're able to, you know, bring something interesting to the table, if they're able to, you know, be a major standout compared to, like, um, all the other shows that are going on right now, then I'm sorry, I'm not going to be invested. I mean, it's kind of funny. What, is is Dwayne Johnson going to be a regular character? Like, I doubt know. it at this point. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> like, just, Anyways. Like, you know, like, you get, you do, if you're going to do a show like this, do something that's going to get everybody excited about Or, like, hype up an episode where it's going to be like, oh, yeah, you need to tune into this episode and see what's going to happen next. Like, you know... Uh, oh, I remember that they tried to hype up an episode of the Brothers Garcia with featuring Solange Nolas as, like, a special guest or something. It's wow. like... Yeah, be Solange. It's like, okay, you couldn't bring Beyonce? You couldn't bring any of the other Destiny's Child members? It has to be Solange? Wow. It's kind of like saying, anyway. like, oh, hey, we're going to bring Kylie Minogue in. So like this. Oh, no, sorry, it's going to be Dana. You know, like, it's just this uh, Danny Minogue, sorry. Like, you know, it's just this... Uh, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. But anyway, but beside the point, it's kind of funny because a lot of people were saying, you know, 20 years ago, oh, this is just like riding off the coattails of the Wonder Years. And now people are saying, oh, this is just riding off the coattails of Fuller House, Girl Meets World, Raven's Home, and all those other shows. So it's like, yeah. unless unless this show can be able to bring something original and new to the table and, you know, make it stand out, I don't think a lot of people are going to be invested in it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm waiting basically for my Twitter feed, you know, because keep in mind, like, um, all of people who listen to our show and all the people who follow, you know, follow us on Twitter, they're the ones who di who directed us to like the Owl House and Amphibia and told us how great these shows are. And yeah, like, they, you know. they, they were, in fact, that's why we were watching the shows in the first place, and that's why we've been doing the podcast and episode recaps, is because a lot of our uh, listeners have been demanding for us to talk about these shows, and then we checked it out, and we thought, wow, this is incredible, we do need to talk about this. So yeah, if the listeners are saying, this is the good stuff, then we will check it out. And I'm sure that, you know, there's always the hidden gems every once in a while, which is why in Crystal Skull, we dedicated an entire month to hidden gems. Some of them were really surprising, and others we were like i can understand why this was hidden so yeah that's not to say that we are only into the mainstream stuff if uh the if the listeners are telling us hey you need to go check this out and everybody's been talking about it i mean we will see that people are talking about this for a reason mm -hmm. okay then well um sticking with uh, what's going on in the nickelodeon paramount world um the legend of uh, cora is celebrating its 10th anniversary today so this yeah. week sorry <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny that a show that was on the coattails of Avatar The Last Airbender and a lot of people were just really disappointed when it first came out. But then a lot of people started appreciating The Legend of Korra for not only being a standalone show, but for also being a sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender and the repercussions that, um, you know, that all the nations had in terms of like forming together as one. So it definitely went into a different direction that you would expect expect Avatar um, to showcase because with Avatar you had that nice blend of humor and serious moments but then when you get to Korra it was heavily on the serious moments and yes it's true that the first two seasons were rough but blame Nickelodeon for this this was their fault this was not Mike and Brian's fault mm -hmm. if you got so for those who don't know they didn't want to pick up Legend of Korra because it featured a female protagonist and they felt that a lot of their shows 
shows with female protagonists just didn't catch on with a lot of people. And so when eventually it was picked up, then they told them, okay, we're going to give you only 12 episodes and that's it. And then around that time, Mike and Brian were working on the, um, you know, the, the continuation of trying to find Suko's mother, which is known as The Search, if you reach over to the comic books. But then The Legend of Korra became huge. The ratings just peaked up and then nickelodeon was scrambling mike and brian saying uh uh oh okay uh you, you you need to get season two out right now and then they had to scramble season two in which is why when you watch the first episode of season two it feels really rushed and then there's a lot of episodes that are really slow paced and then it wasn't until season three and four in which things started picking up but <laughs> that, that but yeah of course nickelodeon had to go around and fuck it up by saying oh yeah um some of the episodes of season three and four we're going to release it on nick.com first or we're gonna have it like um you know uh wait until a few months for it to air on television and oh uh there's this one episode that uh features like clip shows and a lot of people hated that episode but the reason why is because nickelodeon wanted to fire some of their animators and mike and brian didn't want that and they did that clip show episode so that they can keep their animators working so yeah nickelodeon just screwed up the legend of korra and that was why for over a decade mike and Brian wanted nothing to do with Nickelodeon again and now we have the boom that was 2020 when the shows were posted up on Netflix and we already talked about that a while back and so now they started Avatar Studios they're bringing back Avatar The Last Airbender with a movie and of course there's the live action um, series on Netflix that's going to be coming up but Mike and Brian had nothing to do with it because of creative differences because of course I mean that's what happened with the movie the last time with Nem Night Shyamalan so so, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I've got nothing further to add to that. Like, you know, Nickelodeon just ruins everything. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, this is what we know them for at this point. Like, you know, just like, you know, they just, they have no, they have no stability and they just have no belief in any of their other uh, intellectual properties. Unless, again, once again, it's the sponge. You know, like, yeah, it's exactly. just, it's, it's like, it's, uh, um, you know, they might just call it the SpongeBob SquarePants Network at this point. Like, you know, like, uh, no, no one else is going to, no one else gets a, a good show in. In, unless you're the I mean, Loud House. Exactly, I was just going to say, unless you're the Loud House, then, yeah, you're pretty much out of luck if you're going to try to, you know, have a brand new show. And it's like, oh, um, it's Pony. Oh, it's Middlemost Post. Oh, it's Glitch Text. We have these shows that a lot of people are liking, but unfortunately, they don't get a lot of ad revenue and they don't get a lot of advertisement and they don't get a lot of screenings because they just don't match up to SpongeBob quality. If you're not as popular or a Spongebob, then you're put over to the Nicktoons network and then you're just going to air your last episodes there without people watching it. I mean, that's why Clint from the Rise and Fall of Nickelodeon called this the Nicktoons death treatment. You know, you know once... I just feel like somewhere in the future, like, uh, you know, uh, me and Jamboriki actually were talking about this on Twitter, like, uh, you know, what's going to happen with, uh, you know, Nickelodeon, what's going to happen with Paramount in the future, and I just said, you know, like, uh, they're going to, like, Disney's probably going to buy it and uh, the only thing they're going to basically take out of it is SpongeBob SquarePants and they'll probably just discard the rest. Yeah, like just like how they did with, uh, with Blue, Blue Sky, Sky Studios. Studios. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's just yeah, it's. Uh, like, oh, 
Oh, um, oh, you know, Rio. Oh, um, the Peanuts movie. Oh, Ferdinand. Oh, robots. Oh, no, no, no. Ice Age is what we want. You know, screw all those other movies. Exactly. And uh, by the way, like, uh, I think what's going to be so disappointing about that is that uh, they're going to realize that, uh, you know, Ice Age is going to be a bomb on Disney+. Plus. It's not, I mean, I don't know what the uh, latest, uh, you know, uh, things are on, on streaming routes of Disney+, Plus, but uh, well, I can probably imagine the, that. As of, um, as of the making of this podcast, Scratch Tales, um, that's the newest one on Disney+, Plus, and that was the last production of Blue Sky Studios. Yeah, but so... where, where is it in regards to, like, the streaming, in regards to all the other films that are currently streaming on there at the minute? I mean, is it even making a blip on trends? At the moment, uh, or like... I don't think so because usually when we ever talk about like Disney Plus trends, they always talk about the same thing. They always talk about Bluey. They always talk about Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I mean, Simpsons is always number one, and um, yeah, like any of the other Blue Sky stuff is just like off. I mean, I'm looking at exactly. it right now, and um, currently Moonlight, Turning Red, Encanto, Bluey, The Simpsons. Oh, what do you know? Ice Age, Scrat Tales. Okay, that is trending but that's because it's brand new so well yeah because it's let, brand new at the moment give it give it time like uh, yeah. I, I guarantee you it will disappear and it will just be another face it'll just be another brick in the wall you know like yeah it. okay and also okay i'm and also um ice age the adventures of buck wild is trending as well but that again that's because it's brand new exactly so i just think that uh you know um it, it, mind you we've kind of gone off topic at the moment but uh, i mean in regards to legend of Korra, like uh, it's not his fault that it's uh you know the way that it is and uh, so i mean there's a lot of interference from nickelodeon by the way this is something that nickelodeon is known for in regards to, unless you know uh, unless you're the special sponge like uh, you're going to notice that in a lot of nickelodeon shows there's interference here, there, and everywhere. You know, like, it's yeah. just, it's, uh, they're, they're, this is the thing, like, they just don't allow products to settle, or they don't, like, have any faith in uh, what they produce. And uh, it's just, it's, uh, again, like, if it does get bought out one day, I guarantee you they will throw everything else to the side and they'll just say, well, let's just keep making SpongeBob SquarePants episodes unless you keep airing them on Disney Plus, because that's what everyone's come to see. You know, it's just, it's, exactly, uh, yeah. yeah, and, and so. And you know it, it really sucks that a lot of people had put Legend of Korra down compared to Avatar The Last Airbender because they were expecting so much from it. Well, it, it, like... they were expecting a lot. What, 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 I mean, did you see? I mean, look at Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, it was a huge show. It beat, uh, it was the only show that's beaten SpongeBob SquarePants at the Kids' Choice Awards in 2008. Like, it's just, yes. uh, there was huge expectations on Legend of Korra. Probably, you know, unimaginable expectations that they could meet up with and because Nickelodeon is Nickelodeon they completely and utterly screwed it up because of course yeah, they, they did, did. Of course they did, yeah. But unfortunately for like the general um, audience who does not know about the behind-the-scenes issues, they just see it as like a a, a letdown. And you know what? It's Doesn't a shame. Doesn't be fair because... though. Like you know, if you if mind you, like you and I are going to care about this about about this information because you and I, you know, talk, do this on a, on a weekly basis. You know, we talk about this kind of stuff. Like you know, to the average Joe who like works a nine-to-five job, who then goes home and uh, then turns on the TV and expects to be entertained and uh, will occasionally leave a review. He's not going to care about that shit. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you and I g g can can take in the litigating factors, but if you're just a person who is just on the other end of that glass screen, you're not going to care about it. You just want to be entertained after basically having a shitty day at work. You know? Exactly, and like, yeah. and if, uh, and if the Legend of Korra can't do that for that person, then quite frankly, it's failed. You know? <sighs> 
Well, I mean, here's the thing. Legend of Korra, I think, is still an amazing show. I mean, definitely it was a standout when Nickelodeon was struggling for almost a decade with, like, no content that really, like, stood out amongst a lot of people. I mean, after Avatar ended its run, I mean, you had things like Tack and the Power of Juju and Back at the Barnyard and The Mighty Bee and Fanboy and Chum Chum, which they do have their fans, but it didn't, like, leave a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I want to watch these shows on a weekly basis. And it was like trending online. People were just saying of how bad that Nickelodeon turned out to be because um, they, you know, their quality was just gone. Yeah. But so, you know, in, re- in regards to just my, just my final point, I think, in regards to, you know, Legend of Korra, like, you know, yeah, they're, they're, one thing I would definitely say is that a lot of people are actually are giving it a chance again. You know, yes, like, they, uh, they, they so, uh, I mean, it is having a Faulty Towers effect. You know, like, when Faulty Towers first came out, you know, the John Cleese show that you and I talked about in casual chats at one point, like, you know, a lot of people didn't like it when it first when it first came out. But when it aired for its second run, you know, like, uh, for its rerun, and then it, it started rerunning again, all the way from, like, you know, the uh, the uh, the late 70s, all the way up until, like, the you know, the uh, the early 90s. And even, like, it will, it'll still come on again, like, you know, from time to time, just for nostalgic fa- just for a nostalgic factor. Or people, like, will stream it on the BBC iPlayer. You know, like, uh, so, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, there is a possibility for Legend of Korra still to have, like, you know, a good a good fan base of, of its own and, uh, you know, if, with it, so, you know, constantly being on streaming and uh, being able to have, like, replay value as well. So, like, I think it will get its true admiration, I think, at the end of the day. I just think, unfortunately, like, uh, you know, uh, first appearance, you know, first, first impressions are always everything. Pretty much uh, in regards to uh, the shows that we do, and uh, it didn't have a good first impression. I think we can all agree on that. But eventually, it did find its it did find its fans. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, especially when you have to consider that Cora went through so much that Aang never did. Like, for example, having to unite the benders and the non-benders, having to take down a person who wanted to just, um, you know, remove the barriers of like uh, peace and basically just go out and like go, uh, you know, above and beyond with insanity, with just trying to like bring the, um, you know, the spirit world and the human world together, but for the wrong reasons and um yeah there was just a lot of you know rulings that uh cora had to deal with i mean she had to deal with so much when she went from like being sheltered all her life because you know they that they thought that oh you know she shouldn't be traveling even though that all the previous avatars did so and also the fact that she was quote-unquote gifted and then she was brought into this world and having to deal with like the massive repercussions of like you know having to live off with a legacy that even she couldn't be able to fulfill having her bending taken away being defeated and having her powers basically just stilted while the rest of the world went out went without her and then um you know almost like a communistic ruling of the earth kingdom basically said oh where were you when we needed you so you know it's actually kind of funny because we talked about this on the banter broadcast with myself ian malia and andrew and we just talked about how in every generation the avatars had let down people like ang when they you know when everybody needed a warrior and a hero ang was a peacekeeper and when um you know they needed somebody to like you know keep the peace and cora wasn't able to do that i mean they wanted her to be something that the the, the society de- you know demanded her for so 
Yeah, she had to go through so much pressure than Aang ever had to deal with. And also, there were some amazing episodes that were able to tackle this. And also, there were some just genuinely great things that we learned from Korra. Like, we learned about the first Avatar. We learned about how that was able to form when Rava, the spirit, formed into... Uh, the first Avatar, and he was able to defeat the evil, and we learned about, you know, what Aang's kids were up to, and about how Aang was a terrible father, believe it or not, because he had so much, um, you know, pride towards Tenzin being the only airbender child, and we learned about how Lin and Su Yin, about how they had a strained relationship with Toph, their mother, we learned about a whole bunch of amazing things. It had just as much a great world building as Le of Avatar The Last Airbender, but it took the series in a different direction and i think people just wanted the same thing and they didn't remotely get the same thing and i think that that's what off put a lot of people and cora i think a lot of people just said that oh she's just a a brash um air uh, you know uh, uh, avatar she's not the peace loving and goofy character like ang was but of course not he you know cora is not ang He's. I'm sorry, she's not Aang. You know, you have to expect that from her upbringing, she's going to be somebody completely different. And she was able to grow from the course of the series. And, I mean, a lot of people also say that, you know, the relationships were kind of rushed, you know, with um, Korra and with Mako and then Korra with Bolin. And then, um, then people thought that the relationship with Korra and Asami was rushed. But, you know, that's beside the point. But, yeah, kind of believe it or not that uh, Korra and Asami became one of the first uh, same-sex couples in an animated series. And then we followed that up many years later, leading from the Loud House, meeting up to the Owl House, meeting up to a whole bunch of other shows. So uh, even though that I don't think it was one, of, you know, the first in terms of like American telev animated television, but it did kind of start the trend for a lot of people for over a decade. So yeah, Korra did a lot of great things that a lot of people just do not give credit for. And I'm hoping that they just give the legend of Korra another chance because it deserves it. Well, I think it's they, I, I think a, they are giving it another chance. I think uh, there's a, I think there's not like uh, the, again, we're celebrating the 10th anniversary this week. So like, it's not going to weigh. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, people are, people, are, people are going to give it another chance. And so I don't think there's anything, you know, worth too much to, to worry about that. In regards to Korra, I mean, I don't think it's fair to compare it to Aang. Because, let's be honest, like, you know, Avatar Aang was going to be such a hard act to follow. You know, like, you Absolutely. know, the, this kid was, was, this is the kid everybody would love as their son. Pretty much, like you know, like uh, he—I mean—he he has his flaws, and like you know, he—he's uh, obviously very goofy and uh, like everything like that. But at the same time, he has like a—he—he uh, he would develop into like having the sense of responsibility as as soon as he goes on, and also he like run into like you know moral like um, you know. Uh, uh, questions about like how he should de basically deal with himself being as the avatar and how he would basically solve issues. So like you know he was um he was he was such a character to root for. Like I don't think you know they could make Korra basically into the most likable person like that ever was set foot on a Nickelodeon cartoon, and I still think she wouldn't have been able to hold the torch to Ang. Like Ang was basically just you know the character that uh, a lot of people like uh, really put their stock into, and uh, I just think that uh, to say that. Korra was supposed to follow in Aang in some strange way. Like, I don't think that was fair on to, to say to her. I think they should have gone in. She, she did go in her own direction. Eventually, she did. Oh, she and did. So, yeah, and so uh, to say that she was going to, like, to match up to Aang in any particular way, I think uh, would be, t I think is particularly unfair. I don't think that's what they should have gone it, for. It, you know, this show was unbashedly 
um, criticized when it first came out. A lot of people just wanted to see Avatar The Last Airbender 2.0. It's like, oh, Aang, you know, Korra's not the same as Aang. Oh, the world building isn't as good. Oh, the characters are not as charming and intriguing and fleshed out. It's like, it's a different interpretation. Exactly. But I think uh, the one thing that uh, I think people probably had in their minds, and maybe this is probably a bit unfair, but uh, do you remember what came after Batman the Animated Series? Batman Beyond. Exactly, and uh, look how much of a success that turned out to be. To the, to the point yeah. where people are like are demanding that you know, please stop making uh, you know umpteen you know re iterations of the bat of Batman. Make Batman Beyond for crying out loud. Do a Batman Beyond movie. Everyone wants to see that, and it would be so cool if they did it. But uh, I think yeah. people have have in their minds. I think that because other like you know action shows have like had really good like it just keep getting better and better and better and that's what Cartoon Network was doing and then it's kind of like okay Nick what have you got and then like oh well we got the uh, you know the next you know generation or it's going to be Avatar and like you know it's going to be like their version of Avatar and beyond which I think you know they I think had a bit of a problem with because you know they I mean obviously Batman Beyond was rushed to all hell like yeah they had a hellacious you know uh, production schedule pretty much in regards I don't envy anybody there you know trying to panic to try and get that show as good as it was but uh, you know um i just think that uh, people already had an expectation i think uh, within um other fandoms to think what what, what uh, the possibilities of legend of Korra could be and there was no way that nickelodeon was going to match it i think yeah. and uh, i think it's only now that people are appreciating it for what it is yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and, we've and we've gone we've gone so long on this subject. Like, uh, we've, well, I mean, uh, the reason why we've gone on lo long on this subject is because that um, now that people are starting to appreciate what Cora was able to do, that um, looking back on the unjustifiably criticism that Cora had received is kind of just like funny to, to look back on, and mm -hmm. um, the fact that um, now Nickelodeon are saying, "Oh, we can be able to make a franchise out of this," but then the fan base was like, "You could have done that." years ago if you didn't screw up your other show well yeah but this is the thing like Nick, again nickelodeon ruins everything so like uh, yeah. of, course, of course they did so anyway mm -hmm. i think we maybe should move away from nickelodeon just for a bit because uh, we do have you know a tribute to actually you know to to, to do yeah, yeah, yeah. And good, so, good idea good idea yeah so unfortunately everybody we have the sad news so if you haven't heard already is that uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the voice actor who voiced uh, iago from aladdin uh, gilbert gottfried has uh, sadly passed away and uh, he was ill for a period of time and uh, so uh, and he was surrounded by I think he was surrounded by friends and family I think when he did pass yes, away yes, I think was. he was yeah so I think uh, you know so our thoughts uh, are to impress to his uh, his fans his friends and his family as we as we all say and uh, actually you know like uh, you know Gilbert Gottfried definitely put the uh, Iago character on the map in regards to Aladdin like uh, he had just uh, the most recognizable voice when uh, he did that back in 1994 and uh, you know I think uh, he definitely say like uh, he was competing pretty much with Robin Williams of all people like to probably steal the show at that point like uh, and uh, you know don't get me wrong like you know there was a lot of great voice acting work that was there in um, in Aladdin and uh, I think uh, for you know the, the fact that he brought in like you know this hilarious like you know side villain character to uh, you know basically a very serious Jafar and had like you know he was able to balance him out from uh, from him I think uh, he was a pretty important aspect in regards to his talents to uh, carry you know uh, away not just like uh, the seriousness of the villain but you know bringing like a comedian uh, side to that, you know, villainy as well that was uh, in in the show, and uh, I think also uh, pretty much he um, basically became um, kind of like you know the anti-hero in pretty much in the Return of Jafar 
uh, in regards yeah. to like you know the pi- the pilot you know uh, TV <laughs> TV series episode when uh, that first yes. came onto TV movie. So I think uh, you know so he you know uh, and, and uh, I just think that's. Uh, you know, and also, it's just kind of fair, because, like, I think, you know, Gilbert, um, it wasn't just, you know, Iago that he basically, you know, made, you know, a great voice to. Like, he was a, he was a hilarious comedian. Uh, like, yes. uh, well, probably one of my favorite uh, uh, jokes, I think, uh, that I recall was uh, when he did the roast of, uh, I think, uh, I'm trying to think who it was. It was it was a roast of, like, one of the um, uh, one of the other Gary, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, he basically said, oh, uh, this person, like, uh, you know, she was in a bar, like, uh, she, uh, you know, she had, like, a, a cheese sandwich, like, uh, $10 or, like, you know, hand jobs for, like, you know, $4 or something oh, like that. Like, I, I think that was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. Um, I think that when he made that joke, um, it was uh, Joan Rivers. That's Joan Rivers, yeah. Actually, I think uh, I think I actually have the clip. I'm just uh, trying to, uh, you know, cue it up right now. But, uh, um, so, he was a hilarious comedian, by the way. Like, it wasn't just, uh, you know, Iago that made everybody laugh, but uh, there was... Uh, other roles that he did as well, like he was in Family Guy as well, and uh, he uh, came in for a few vo- you know, voices as well. Actually, I'm just uh, yeah, I think I've got it here actually. So uh, here's um, here's uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and we don't actually play clips most on the show anymore. So here's Gilbert Gottfried um, doing um, the roast of Joan Rivers on the roast of Joan Rivers uh, show. So let's uh, let's listen. A guy walks into a bar. Joan Rivers is the bartender. He sees a sign over the bar that reads, Cheese Sandwich $1.50, Hand Job $10. He says to Joan Rivers, Are you the one that gives the hand jobs? Joan says, Yes, I am. He says, Well, wash your hands, bitch. I want a cheese sandwich. <laughs> wow. Yep. And so, well, uh, yeah, he was... Uh, yeah, that was one. Uh, there was another clip that apparently was circulating on online, I and uh, what you're talking about is the Hollywood Squares, uh, where um, you, for those who don't know what Hollywood Squares is, so Hollywood Squares is a TV show. Uh, well, it's a game show actually. It's a game show where you have uh, these nine celebrities, and you have two contestants who are trying to do a tic tac toe, where you know they're being asked a question, and then the celebrity reveals if it's true or if it's false um regarding about like okay um did you know that um you know the cheetah is the fastest animal and tell you what actually, um, i think is this the, is was that the, the you fool clip yes uh, it is the you fool let clip, me yes. see if i can cue it up just give me one second um it might be this one let me do that i'm just going to explain the rules so yeah so basically if they say like what okay the second animal is what and then the they would say oh it's um the ostrich and then they'll say okay i agree and if it's the correct answer they get the x or they get the o depending on what they are and the whole point of the game is to line it up three in a row or to basically have the most x's and o's or depending on what contestant you are so that you can be able to win the game. So, okay, yeah, well, that n- n- now that we know that, let's play the clip. Gilbert Gottfried wow, for the win! Surprise. Okay. <laughs> Gilbert, in a, in a poll, 94% of Hungarians, compared to only 46% of Americans, said doing this was necessary to feel fulfilled. Doing what? Having a child. I disagree. You fool! <laughs> having, having a child is correct, David. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey. When she heard that Phileas Fogg had done it in 80 days, journalist Nellie Bly beat him by doing it in 72 days. What did she do? Uh, this is rowing the Atlantic. I'm gonna agree. You fool! <laughs> she went around the world in 72 days. Its French designer named it the Atom because of its small size and the explosive effect a woman would have when she wore it. Today, it's better known as... The Tube Top. I agree. You fool! <laughs> What significance does 1908 have if you are a Chicago Cubs fan? It's the last perfect pitch game. <laughs> I'm agree. You, you fool! <laughs> Steve Austin. Steve Austin is a big, bad professional wrestler fully known as... The Crusher. The Crusher. I'll agree. You fool! Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right, Officer Dave. Gilbert Godfrey for the win. Gilbert By the way, if we run out of time during this or any other game, we're all going out for drinks. <laughs> the, word, the word smog comes from what two words? Smoke and fog. Smoke and fog. I'm going to agree. Smoke and fog! Oh my god. That that'll go down in history pretty much that episode. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh. Uh, by the way, I'm actually curious. Have you ever listened to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast? Um, actually, I never got. This is the thing. I never got the chance. And uh, actually, there was one thing I actually wanted to kind of. I don't know if you wanted to keep this private or not, but uh, there was something I was going to admit that. Uh, so there's this website called Cameo, and uh, I was going to. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried was actually on there before he passed away. And uh, one thing I was kind of hoping to do for like a wedding, like I wanted to give him like a pay him to like, do like a wedding message for us both. And oh, as Iago, so yeah, and uh, oh, I'm so I'm so gutted that I didn't, you know, now that he's gone, like, you know, it just makes it so, it just makes it even more sad because, like, uh, that would have been so fun if we did that. Oh, that would have been great. It would yeah. like Aaron and Patricia. I want to give you a congratulations for your wedding. The fact that you met online is just absolutely wonderful. So congratulations on marital bliss. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I would have loved. To oh, I would have loved that to like you know but uh, so uh, but you know here's the thing like uh, Gilbert Godfrey leaves uh, uh, an, an incredible legacy we were talking about Family Guy before because he's done some voices for that also he was on the Fairly Odd Parents as well like uh, he was the evil he, dentist he was Bender, yeah. exactly he was the yeah. one who had like the, it's like my teeth are perfect your teeth are not Bucktooth boy, 
my son and I, we have the best teeth in all of uh, whatever the place is um, called. But anyway, it's like, yeah, basically he played as that and he was, um, yeah, he was various other voices yeah. as well. Uh, also, the... he was in the infamous uh, belly button episode of Ren and Stimpy, if oh, you yeah, remember. He... Belly button elf, I remember that. It's actually kind of funny because uh, going back into Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, he was talking about this with Billy West, but they originally wanted to have Jerry Lewis as uh, Jerry the Berry Button Elf, but they couldn't get Jerry Lewis, and so Gilbert Godfrey just basically did his version of Jerry Lewis. It's like, oh, watch, I don't like the lynch loaf! I don't like the lynch loaf! So basically he was doing jerry lewis as jerry the berry button elf uh, belly button elf so yeah by the way um uh that that episode with uh, him and billy west is freaking hilarious i mean you just just every two seconds gilbert godfrey was laughing because billy would just do like an impression of like some old comedian from like the 40s and 50s and they were talking about like the three stooges and talking about like when um billy west knew al lewis uh, grandpa munster from the munsters because he knew him from like the howard stern show and stuff like that so yeah i mean if there's one podcast that i highly recommend that you uh listen to of um you know that one episode of gilbert godfrey's podcast is definitely the encore with billy west it is hilarious it is fantastic yeah. Um, some of his other film roles include... Uh, he was in Beverly Hills Cops 2, by the way. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he talked about that with Eddie Deason. Uh, he talked about, like, you know, him meeting up with... Um uh, you know, Eddie Murphy and saying like he was a pretty cool guy and uh, he was surprised when the movie tanked because Eddie Murphy was like starting to become like a huge, um, you know, popular uh, star and they even knew each other in SNL, you know, that's where they first met. Yeah, like, uh, well, uh, not so much now for Eddie Murphy, pretty much Donkey's pretty much is kind of like his uh, his go-to role pretty much in, in his career today, but uh, uh, I mean, like, so he's also been like in the adventures of Fort Fairline and uh, he's also been in the Aristocrats as well and uh, A Million Ways oh, yeah, to Die in the he, West. Yeah, he's, he's makes that joke about the aristocrats so yeah he always he always jokes about that too yeah so like uh, i mean uh, and also uh, you yeah, know some of his top nickelodeon roles you know includes jerry jerry the belly button uh elf he was also sal in uh, spongebob squarepants as well in that one episode and uh, he was also yeah. the, he was also the barn buddy as well in uh, back in the barnyard and uh, yes. you know he pretty much had a pretty big role in tmnt because he was crying himself Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it? Like, uh, Roseanne Barr was like the female Krang. And then Gilbert Godfrey played as like the other version of Krang. So yeah, he was huge in that role as well. Yeah, like, uh, I, I can see Gilbert Godfrey as Krang, to be honest yeah, with you. Like, exactly, yeah, that was, yeah. That, was a, that was good casting. I think, it was uh, really great in. casting. Yeah, well, we definitely need, do need to talk about TMNT 2012 at some point. Yeah, and uh, but I think you know, I think one of the things that I think Gilbert Gottfried had a knack for is that uh, he could play a villain, and uh, he could, you know, not he could either do it through like you know a, a you know a comedic sinister route, or he could actually just kind of just play it off for complete laughs, and like you know he can get everyone just laughing, even though he's like he's the guy who's trying to get the protagonist. You know, like, so it's yeah, just, it's, yeah. uh, he had that, uh, you know, technique where he can really keep you entertained, even though, like, he's supposed to be kind of like, you know, the villain spectacle and everything. So, like, and also he was Fred Fox in, a in AVGN, if you remember, as well. So, oh, like, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, the I ultimate villain. <laughs> the ultimate villain. <laughs> Where he was the one who created all, like, the, the bad video games, and then uh, James would always reference Fred Fox, and it turned out that Gilbert Gottfried was that as well, so... So that's that's and th what were they playing like um that PS4 game with the tiger? Yeah, I think it was yeah, and uh, I think uh, I, I, the one thing I will say is that you know again like some of the newer AVGN episodes.
because I can't fully remember, but I do remember Gilbert Godfrey being in there. So yeah, yeah, movie, that, so. Was, that was that was the biggest surprise because it's like you know people were expecting like oh Lloyd Kaufman is in an episode, but we knew that you know James always talked about trauma, and so I mean you know I thought that at some point that um, you know Lloyd Kaufman would be appearing in. But, but an to episode. be fair though, you know AVGN, I think people don't really give like uh, you know too much credit. Like everyone knows who he is now. He's the he's the he's the fucking nerd, and so like yes. it doesn't surprise me like he's getting people like Macaulay Culkin and you know Lloyd Kaufman and you know uh, Gilbert Gottfried and. Uh, people like that like you know he's uh, he's he's a he's he's big uh, at this point and so like yeah. uh, i'm just i think everyone's just kind of waiting with bated breath to see who's the next you know i mean covid's obviously made things very difficult for him to start like, bringing in celebrities and things like that i can yeah, only imagine yeah, exactly. that uh, that took the wind out of his sails quite a bit but so now that things are starting to kind of subside a little bit it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see what, what's going to happen in the next episode of avgn like who's the next big star that's going to come out yeah. yeah, and I think that the last role that he did, or one of the last roles that he did before he died, was um, you're familiar with the uh, the Adult Swim show Smiling Friends, created by Psychic Pebbles? I'm familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, so Gilbert Gottfried appeared in an episode, and he played as God. And the devil is played by James Rolfe. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. So Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, uh, we are going to miss Gilfred. Like, uh, he he was such, you know, uh, uh, Gilbert, we're going we're gonna to miss him so much. Like, he was such a, yeah. such a great guy. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, uh, you know, um, his uh, legacy, you know, continues up to this day and uh, you know, far beyond after that. So... Yeah, yeah. I, it, it was like it, it, this uh, and the the passing of Robin Williams were, like, definitely the most shocking ones to me. It's like, when I saw that, oh, wait a minute... Gilbert Gottfried's dead. It's like no, like that can't be. Yeah. And then when I read through it, it's like, oh my god, he really is dead. This is, this is unexpected. I mean, you know, he. I mean, and to be fair, I had no idea that he was going through muscular dystrophy. I, I mean, I'm sure that if I were, well, I mean, this I guess is he the thing. Like, it. you know, I mean, like, unfortunately, everybody like, uh, there's no, you know, they're not inclined to like tell publicly everyone there like what's going on in their medical history and everything like that. So, like, you know, when, uh, I mean, how much of a shock was it when, uh, uh, I mean, when um, Dustin Diamond passed away? And uh, we didn't. Oh, yeah. e- we, we didn't even know he had lung. You know, he. What well, he, 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 he himself actually knew he had. Uh, you know, uh, tumors in his lung, and then all of a sudden yeah. that came out, and then he died a week later. Like that was shocking. Yeah, that like, was really shocking because I mean I knew that uh, Dustin Diamond was going through his ups and downs, but you know every a lot, a lot of child stars go through their ups and downs, but I had no idea about the whole you know tumors in his lungs. That was shocking. Exactly. So and, like uh, th- this is the thing. Like. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, we can easily come onto this earth and we can easily leave it. And uh, it's just, exactly. it's, yeah. The, the, the death of Chadwick Boseman was a shock, too. It's like, wow, I mean, he was going through, you know, acting in Black Panther and he was going through cancer. Hmm. That was a shock to me as well. Yeah, and... Uh, so unfortunately, like uh, these uh, these deaths, like very very beloved people, like uh, you know they they come very they come very serious, you know they come very fast when uh, you know they don't uh, you know uh, yeah. when people uh, don't know what's going did on. You, did you see the photo of um, Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and Gilbert Gottfried in one picture? And then somebody posted on social media they died like like and now three months after that picture was taken, they're all dead. Hmm. Just it's just you, know, wow. you, you, you can you can easily go. It's so it's so scary. Like it's just yeah. It's and, a- and then you know some. I think it was Todd in the Shadows who po- uh, who posted this up, but he was saying like, "Wow, you know, uh, the the comedians of our generation are going away." Mm. Well, I mean, I mean uh, imagine... that, that, that's expected pretty much at this point. Like, I mean, like our nostalgia. I mean, how how far does our nostalgia go back? Like the eighties? 
Pretty much like, yeah. you know, like, and some of these people, like, you know, they were in, like, their, uh, some of them were, like, in their 40s and 50s when uh, they were first, you know, coming into our, uh, into our memories and things like that. And, like, you know, what, what now? They're going into, like, their 60s and 70s? Pretty much at this yeah, point, about. like, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, that, you remember, um, uh, um, uh, she was in Murder, she wrote, and uh, her name just goes, you know, blanking out of my head, uh, Angela Lansbury. Like you know, yeah, Pittsburgh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you know, she she's still going stronger. Like you know, ninety plus years old, and uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, and and Betty White as well. I mean, she lived up until ninety nine. Exactly. So, like, unfortunately, like a lot of the people who we grew up with in animation and grew up in com- in comedy, you know, back in the nineties and back in the eighties, like you know, they're they're getting on in age now. Like you know, we're it's, we're in twenty twenty two. It's like it's it's scary how fast life is moving. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but uh, you know, uh, a shout out to uh, you know everyone who are fans of uh, Gilbert Gottfried and uh, sadly passed away. And uh, once again, our thoughts and uh, prayers with his fans, his uh, friends, and his family. Absolutely, so. yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on um, to uh, more positive news. I guess we can say uh, the Nimona movie that we all thought was gone and we never thought was going to see the light of day again has now going to be appearing on Netflix come 2023. That's incredible. It's huge, by the way, because when Disney bought out Blue Sky Studios and we knew that their next project was going to be Nimona, and when it was 75% complete, they shut the whole thing down and people were so upset. Now, for those who don't know what Nimona is, now Nimona is a a graphic novel written by N.D. Stevenson, uh, formerly known as Noelle Stevenson, who you may know as the creator of the um, animated series of She-Ra, The Princesses of power which is the reboot of the 80s show so um she had oh well i'm guess they uh I, i'm actually not sure if uh, what nd stevenson's current gen you know gender is i think they're they now so i'm just gonna say they for the sake of it so they created a graphic novel and it was a fantasy graphic novel that a lot of people were like really into it won an eisner award it won a cartoonist studio prize it won a Siblis award it got critically acclaimed for its um, you know, um, talks of queerness and uh, fluidity of identity and subverting traditional controlling institutions and exclusionary systems. So I'm just going to read off a, a brief synopsis of what it's about. So no, no, um, Nimona is a shapeshifter who is able to grow and shrink, take any human form or animal form, and is able to breathe fire. She wants to be the sidekick of Ballister Blackheart, who was once a knight for the institution but had lost an arm and a downs with the ambrosius golden loin who is now the champion and so they go on this um massive adventure so yeah a lot of people were like really really excited about seeing an animated um incarnation of this graphic novel but then when disney had bought blue sky they shut it down and my god the internet was so pissed on what disney did yeah I and mean, now all, we're all, seeing yeah all the um all, all the um um the uh the drama i'm sure we covered another point i think yes, uh, when we, we did cover it. this when we discussed about blue sky shutting down yeah i mean and... like so th- there, there was all of that but i think uh, the the one thing that kind of like i don't know like uh, there is one thing that kind of a little bit bothers me about this like you know isn't the timing of this announcement quite you know coincidental 
Uh, it know, is very uh, coincidental, especially since we know about that because Nimona has a lot of um, subtle different, uh, you know, subtlety when it comes to like LGBTQ um, representation and gender fluidity. And then we hear about the don't say gay bill. And then we just heard recently about Lightyear that they're removing a six second scene regarding about two people together. Um, and then they were told, oh, no, bring it back. Uh, because you know we, you know that's proper representation. So yeah, Disney. Oh man, like Disney has been under the fire in terms of like you know trying to remove all of these like you know LGBTQ undertones. It's like maybe that's one of the reasons why they decided to turn it down. I mean, if it was a blue, if it was an Ice Age movie that they were working on next, I'm sure that they would have kept Blue Sky going. Yeah, but, uh, you know, like, the thing about this is that, uh, I mean, like, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, babe, but I think uh, since the uh, this whole debacle has happened where, like, you know, when they found out that uh, you know, Disney was uh, funding the, like, uh, these uh, Don't Say Gay Bill by politicians, uh, you know, the uh, the Disney price stock actually has been dropping dropping through the floor. Like I think, oh, uh, yeah. uh, last time I think it was like it was like a hundred and eight, hundred and uh, hundred and thirty a share. I think at the point, like Ooh. you know, I think I don't know, I don't, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what Disney stock is at the moment right now. But uh, as far as I'm aware, it's going on a downhill slope and it's not good. Okay, still it's, uh, it's still at one thirty from what I can see, but uh, it's it's lost, okay. it's lost a significant amount of its value since uh, it, it came down. Like at one point it was tra- trading at, uh, at uh, you know, I think a day ago it was like it was at uh, one thirty three, and now it's at one thirty again. So like it's just it's uh... oh man that that is oh uh, that is not very good and you know what um, somebody from the Disney family had pointed out that this is absolutely terrible like uh, Roy Disney's um, descendant who just so happens to be trans by the way mm-hmm. had pointed out how terrible of an idea that this don't say gay bill is going on and that Disney is just turning themselves away from it. Um, let's just say that she was not very happy. You can probably imagine now, but uh, at the minute, like, uh, I mean, uh, Bob Shapik, Shapik uh, uh, is, uh, he's got to resign. I'm sorry, like, you know, he's uh, he's made a fool of himself by, you know, being at the helm when all this Don't Say Gay Bill stuff's been going on, still going on is now, and then yes. he made a massive scramble to, like, uh, try and please, like, uh, everyone in the LGBTQIA plus community in Disney and that, and then he angered pretty much the conservative side of the Disney fandom, and then they've all left in their droves, along with, like, you know, those are the LGBTQ people still leaving you know, their Disney plus subscriptions at this point. So, like, you know, uh, Disney can't please anybody at this point and now they got themselves into this whole debacle and uh, it's just you know he's got to go like you know like uh, I reckon if he resigned probably tomorrow I reckon the, uh, the stock price will probably go back up because then there'll be some, cer- some certainty that uh, you know they're going to get somebody in who's going to clean up this mess you know, like, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, and also, like, again, I go back on, like, the, uh, the, this is convenient timing, because while everybody's, you know, going around either for one way or, or another, like, you know, cancelling their Disney Plus subscriptions, like, and now Netflix has conveniently picked this up, gee, I wonder why, you know, like, because yeah. now everyone who's, like, abandoned Disney Plus is now going to go to Netflix, but mind you, they're in no better situation at the minute with the whole Dave Chappelle's, you know, debacle at the moment, and uh, the fact that they're going to be doing more specials with him. So, like, you know, he's like, uh, this is virtue signaling pretty much 101 at this point. So, it's just, it's, uh, this is the thing, like, you know, these, these streaming services cannot, you know, they have to pick a side 
I mean, like, uh, like they either have to say, okay, well, uh, we're going to, you know, basically be this, uh, you know, play it safe network that is going to basically be for the, tra you know, the quote-unquote traditional family, or we're basically going to put in progressive content that's, uh, you know, with progressive producers, and uh, we're going to basically be, you know, uh, putting in more content, basically, for a more very, very community, and uh, we'll have, like, all these people, like, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one thing or another, you know? Like it's just yeah. this, uh, and, and, and you know what? If this were to happen, in which they are going to force Bob Chappick to be removed from the company, this would not be the first time this has happened. I don't know if you remember this. If you've ever, oh yeah, it's happened before. before. Yeah, it's You've done this before. So for those who don't know, if uh, by the way, check out the book Disney War. Um, Rob Ronald Miller, who was the son-in-law of Walt Disney. There was a coup d'etat that involved with the Disney company because um, they were paying $325 million over the company's market value to Saul P. Steinberg, a New York financier, to thwart his threatened takeover of Disney. So there was a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes at Disney. And so, and also Disney was, uh, the, the studio was not doing very well at the time. And so they forced Ronald Miller to be removed from the studio and they replaced it with Michael Eisner. And so, yeah, if this were to happen in which the studio is doing so badly, I would not be surprised if there would be a case in which they would force Bob Chappick to be removed from being president and then they'll have to find somebody else to take it over. Exactly. So I think, you know, he needs to go. Like, I think he's uh, he's made a complete mess of all of this. And uh, I mean, again, it's... Uh, I'm sorry we were all deflecting, like, you know, from what's going on with Nimona right now, but, I mean, like, uh, um, I'm really glad that it is actually coming out on Netflix, and finally it is going to get made, but, uh, again, like, uh, it, it, is, it does feel coincidental that they would announce this while people are, like, you know, leaving Disney Plus in their droves, you know? Like, it's just, it's, um, so I think uh, if, if Netflix is going to get some, you know, positive stuff out of this, then great, but, uh, you know, one thing I would say is that, you know, uh, what are you going to do when you find out that Dave Chappelle's there basically telling anti-trans jokes, you know? yeah. Um, it's actually going to be interesting about how, you know, this is going to turn out. I mean, if well, Nimona... Is it, it's already, what, is it already 75% in production? I mean, it already 75% complete? It was 75% in production, and then Annapurna had finished it, and it's being distributed by another um, company, and then Netflix has the distribution rights. So, yeah. Um, I was just going to say that... Um, what would happen if Nimona becomes like a massive hit? Um, well, Disney, Disney will be uh, you know uh, kicking themselves again because yes. like uh, th this isn't the first time I think that they've like left stuff go. So like no. uh, you know, so it's just it's uh, yeah, this this is going to be the thing that basically comes back and bites them in the ass. I think once again, and uh, whether Netflix is going to run with it, I have no idea. But we're going to find out soon enough in 2023. Yes, we're going to find out soon enough. Uh, maybe this will be a movie that we'll be watching next year. Who knows? Yeah, probably will be. Like it's just it's uh, definitely if it goes into search of the Crystal Skull territory, or if it like goes into a territory, you know that uh, that will uh, will cover. <laughs> or if uh, my listeners decided that this will be the movie that I'm going to be watching for 2023. Maybe. Well, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. So. Yeah, we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, moving away from that, uh, a little bit of Simpsons news. Uh, 2022, sorry, sorry, 22 short films about Springfield is now 26 years old. Uh, first came out, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, back in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it was one of the, you know, uh, ambitious episodes of uh, The Simpsons because uh, it was at the time when the cast of characters became so big because not only now was it focusing on The Simpsons family, not only was it, like, focusing, like, on, like, the immediate, like, you know, characters that are, like, surrounding them, like, you know, Ned Flanders and, like, you know, Mr. Burns, you know, being the uh, the boss of the nuclear plant, and then he, he would go to Moe's and then they would focus on them too. But, uh, I mean, eventually they were going to need to, like, say, all oh, the Simpsons are going to have to go everywhere else in Springfield, and uh, then we got to meet more other characters that were going on. So we got to meet, you know, uh, more of Nelson Muntz, you know, the school bully. We got to meet Professor Frank, you know, we got to meet, uh, you know, Seymour uh, Skinner and Super Nintendo Chalmers, you know, the famous Steam Hams episode. No, we're going to be speaking a lot about that in uh, this recap. But, uh, you know, the, the, and also there was, you know, Comic Book Guy, and like uh, there was, you know, uh, Snake, and there was uh, Chief Wiggum, and all these other characters. And, you know, they were at the point where it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do with them? And uh, then they came up with the idea of uh, the twenty, 20 sorry, the twenty-two short film. I was going to say twenty-twenty-two for some strange reason, like twenty-two short films about Springfield. And so they were all like kind of like these uh, five-minute kind of like skits where everyone kind of like got a chance to like you know have like a short story you know, told about them. And uh, it was all told through like you know uh, Bart and Milhouse kind of like saying you know oh hey what about this happening about this happening things like that. So you know it's a it's a great yeah. episode of The Simpsons and it's on Disney Plus. So anyone who's not seen this episode and uh, is going to be checking out The Simpsons real soon. I definitely would say that's one of the episodes you should check out. Oh, absolutely. So. You should definitely check it out. And yeah, I, I really like the connectivity that each of the stories have in which like you have um, this moment happening in this one story and then it connects into the other story. So yeah, we do get to see from even uh, different perspectives of characters that we don't get to see very often, like Dr. Nick and we get to see Chief Wiggum and Bumblebee Man. And yeah, it was it was really interesting about how all these stories were able to come together. It was so successful that they did it again with Futurama in which you have this one episode in which you have the character sitting down with $300 and then they would talk about like, okay, what would we do with these, with this $300? And we get to see from their perspective of what they would do with it. So yeah, this, this was attempted again by Mac Rainey. So kind of interesting about how that turned out. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, like, uh, I mean, I go on this run all the time, but, you know, these, these, these episodes that, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, that this all appears in, like, you know, it's, uh, this, this is what I prefer, like, you know, before The Simpsons went off the rails, and, like, uh, I always prefer, like, you know, the first, like, you know, seven to nine, like, seasons, pretty much, of, uh, you right. know, compared to uh, all the other ones, and so, like, uh, yeah, and a lot is... of people have said that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, you know, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, sorry, I'm just, uh, I was uh, poking around and uh, I just saw, um, maybe we'll spend save the spoiler section maybe for like, the Owl House, but uh, there's a hilarious thing that uh, I've just, uh, <laughs> just found on the Owl House subreddit. So oh, nice. uh, yeah, well, uh, well, well, it ties into uh, Steam Tams actually, so I'll probably tell you about it when we get into the spoiler section, but uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, um, that's not the only 26th uh, anniversary that we're talking about today. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, uh, the movie is also 26 years old too. Yes, it is. So, yeah, we talked about this on the Roald Dahl retrospective with uh, Eli, a.k.a. the Hero of Tomorrow. And this is one of the very few adaptations of a Roald Dahl book that is animated. And this is one of two that is stop motion. So, 
originally Tim Burton was supposed to direct it, but because he was really busy with a bunch of his other projects at the time, of uh, you know, very similar to like Nightmare Before Christmas, he brought in his own director, which was Henry Selleck. But then Tim Burton, I think, was one of the executive producers. But don't worry, Tim Burton would come back uh, almost a decade later for uh, Will, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But you know, go check out our podcast for that. So yeah, this was based off of the classic book James and the Giant Peach, and um, this was around the time in which um, the Doll family was very hesitant on having adaptations based off of their books because Roald Dahl was a stickler when it came to proper representations based off of his books. He hated Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and he was so disappointed with the ending of The Witches that he wanted no involvement in it. So, James and the Giant Peach was like the first major film that was by a large studio that was adapting one of his classic books. And so, the Lissy, I mean, Lissy Doll from, the, you know, his widow and the Doll family estate had given permission to to Disney and to Henry Selleck to do this adaptation. And Lissy Dahl herself said that this was a very charming movie that her husband would have been really satisfied with. And uh, when we did the podcast, uh, we were surprised by how many people like really love this film. And they say it's one of their childhood favorites. And then when we watched it, we said that there were some good things about it. I mean, we did really like the stop motion. We liked the, um, the characters. We liked how creative it was, but we did, point out some sticklers and some people were agreeing with us and some people were not so yeah let, let's well, talk about that you know here's the thing about this like james and the giant peach and i'm sure we've like we've, 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 by the way we urge everyone to like you know go check out the world all rest of episode on that because i'm sure we pretty much covered all this previously but so we will go it over again and that is that uh, i can sort of understand where some people come from in regards to why they like this uh, this movie like you know it is you know a very artistic film and uh, it, it does have like you know a lot of um, you know, a, a lot of scenery and a lot of uh, you know, uh, and it really just drive your imagination when you're actually watching it on the screen. But at the same time, like uh, you know, it's um, in some places it can kind of like you know uh, maybe drag a little bit, and in some and also keep in mind it's full of Randy Newman filler too. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. the, all, all the songs, like, you know, like, uh, that love song makes, you know, is not, does not necessary, really. And, like, so there's a lot of padding in the movie, too, in regards to, like, yes. you know, carrying it on with musical numbers. Like, it was just, it's, uh, and, I, you know, it, it's a Walt Disney film, so of course it is. But, you know, like, uh, it's, yeah. uh, so, I mean, of course it's going to have those things in it. But, unfortunately, like, uh, there are some things, I mean, the, the, there are some things to actually get you, you know, to sink your teeth into, which I think is very interesting. Like, uh, I like the whole look of New York City like you know, the very finale of the movie and uh, I do like you know the the shark uh, also was pretty cool as well to actually look at that and to see him as like yeah, you know the mechanical it, it, shark exactly yeah you know the rhino stuff I think was a bit over the top for me but uh, I mean like uh, I think I, I can't remember exactly what I said in regards to the rhino stuff you have to really listen back on the episode but uh, yeah um, I, I think we, I think we talked about how the rhino stuff if you remember from the original book it was a real rhino that killed James's parents when they were walking in the zoo and then then um, the whole rhino thing was never in the book, by the way. But they put it into the movie to give conflict to James. It's like, you know, his aunts have been telling him about the rhino, about how the rhino will get him. And so he had this fear of leaving the island because he feared that the rhino would get him. And so when he sees the rhino at the cliffhang, uh, you know, the, the, the climactic scene, you know, it was all in his mind. And he told the rhino to go away. So he was essentially like letting go of his fear. So that was what they were trying to put in. Because let's be honest. I mean, the, if you read the original 
original book, there really isn't a lot of conflict. All the stuff that they saw, uh, you know, that they put in in terms of conflict, like, oh, you know, we're lost and we need to go on to the um to the bottom of the the frozen sea to get a compass. That was not in the book. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the, here's, here's the thing in regards to the rhino. Like, it was in the movies, and also it was in the um, in in the in the audio drama as well. So, like, uh, the, the rhino the rhino is you know like uh, in the story in regards to like you know the audio and the visual like adaptations. But yeah, in the book, it's not it's not referenced. No, it's so. not in there. And also, and Sponge and and Spiker, uh, you know, driving all the way to New York City with their busted up car. Yeah, that didn't happen either. Because yeah, that that, that that was that was only put in basically to kind of like you know to put in a finale to the movie. Really, yeah. Right. Yeah, which really which, was unnecessary when you really think about it, because like they already had, yeah, I mean, like they already had the finale with uh, you know James confronting his fear. So like you know the whole thing with like the the aunts you know coming back. Keep in mind, like you know, were the they were pretty much killed in the first act, pretty much yeah, of the story. <laughs> exactly, yeah, like they were run over by the peach. So like uh, that was that should have been the end of them really in regards to that. Like it's a it's definitely a, a more you know I think you and I can have a debate when we come to the twits you know which 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 one which two were more gruesome deaths. But uh, <laughs> in, in, in regards to uh, you know that should have basically been the end of their uh, contributions to the film pretty much. Like they didn't need to be in the finale of the movie pretty much. Like he, James had already confronted his fear in regards to facing the rhino. And uh, that mm. probably should have been it. You know, them landing safely in New York City should probably should have been the thing, really. So, Absolutely, like, uh, yeah. it was uh, it was unnecessary, in my opinion. But, uh, again, yeah. this, is the, this is the thing. Like, this movie's full of unnecessary stuff. But at the same time, it's full it of is. good stuff, too. Like, it's Tim Burton. Like, you know, he's, he's creative in that. I mean, no, Tim Burton didn't work on it. Henry Sellers. Henry Sellers. Yes. Henry Sellers. I do apologize. Like, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's, so, yeah, the same guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline and monkey bone but take that for what what it is yeah anyway but yeah there's a lot of good things about this movie i mean i i would i mean yes it is true that the songs are not memorable in the slightest other other than that's the life for me which um you know that's also a great song and then there's also the peach song which are like the lyrics are taken from the actual um you know poem that Roald Dahl wrote in the book which is why it was the most memorable one outside of that's the life for me and yeah i mean other than that in terms of like oh um you know the story kind of like just goes all over the place with its padding i mean there's still a lot to like about it i mean that's why a lot of people remember it mhm Okay, so, um, I mean, there's not really much we can really add, I think, you know, in regards to, like, you know, being 26 years old, you know, uh, you know, down the line. Like, you know, I guess it still has its fans, and I guess people still like, like watching it, but, uh, I mean, as far as I'm aware, like, it's been on Disney+, Plus, but as far as I'm aware, it's not trended at any point. No, it's it's not trending. I, I took a look on the trending when we were talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, well, what's trending. Think about it. Did they actually make a big deal of it when actually when it first appeared on Disney+. Plus? It did. It did make a big deal of it because it's like, oh, James and the Giant Peach is on uh, Disney Plus, and people were like really excited about it. Okay, then, because like I, I gotta be honest with you, I missed out, so I have no idea what was going on at the time. So yeah, I mean, when something is up on Disney Plus, I mean, you know, depending on what it is, you know, it tends to either draw people out or it's like, oh, that's a nice little addition. So yeah, Um, I think that with James and the Giant Peach, in terms of like. 
uh, uh, you know, how, how much people enjoy it. I mean, I think it was like, what was it, like number four or number three? No, it was number four. I remember this. It was number four in our top five Roald Dahl adaptations, according to our listeners and according to us. Okay, then. And uh, right now, it's uh, it's still 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, like, you know, the critics still loved it. And uh, also, yeah. about, the only thing about that is, like, in the audience score, it's 65%. So, like, uh, I mean, yeah. like, and also, I don't specifically see anyone like he. This is the thing. I don't particularly see anybody having any, like, malice towards, you know, James and the Giant Peach in regards to, like, this movie. And I don't see anyone kind of, like, you know, uh, it is pretty much, it's a shame that it's on 91% of Rotten Tomatoes because it would have been a very interesting, you know, in search of the Crystal Skull discussion, I would have thought. So, like, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, critics love it, but I guess it's kind of like what we were saying about, like, the critics love it, but audiences just tend to be really meh about it. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's more, I think it was more successful than Doug's first movie, I think we can all agree. By a long shot, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Even though, te- okay, well, I mean, technically, we know that James and the Giant Peach was a box office failure, but let's be honest. With the exception of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, every single one of the theatrical movies has either been a box office failure or has underperformed. So, yeah. Yeah, it's because, like, you know, uh, let me have a look at what other movies were out in 1996 because, uh, like, uh, I couldn't think in that. There were, some, there were some big movies that came. I mean, well, Independence Day was out in 1996 as well, yes, and it Twister was, was also Day, out, yes. and Mission Impossible and The Rock. Like, good grief, there, mm-hmm. was some, there were some heavy hitters on that year who were going to, I think they were going to probably draw more like a good the nutty professor like uh, that the, the, the eddie murphy movie that'd yeah be... the eddie murphy movie yeah oh, the good. remake of the uh, 60s comedy that originally had jerry lewis well like uh, i'll tell you what i'm just gonna see if uh, yeah uh, I, james and the giant peach was uh, number 58 in regards to uh you know the uh, the top you know 100 movies that came out that year so oh wow Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember 1996, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame was uh, released in theaters as well. So yeah, that, that's like guess... number thirteen. So like uh, that did uh, that did uh, that did hundred million dollars at the box office. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Space Jam also come out that same year too. <laughs> yeah, of course, Space Jam. Ah, <laughs> uh, good grief! That, that 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 movie is cursed forever. Um, but. Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think what other movies actually. Tell you, what, we're only talking about like movies that just generally came out in 1996. Well, actually, came out on on that year that I was competing with. So, Fear was also out. Uh, Jane Eyre was also out. Uh, Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy was also out. Um, Loaded was also out. Uh, the Substitute was also somewhat out of that same. Mrs. Winterbourne was also out at that time. And uh, no, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie also came out that same year too. At that same oh, wow. time. So like, uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, um. James and the Giant Peach. I mean, like uh, there were some, there were some movies that were out there, but good grief, none of them were like you know. Oh, All Dogs Do Go to Heaven too also came out in that same year too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, there weren't. Just thinking about it, really. I mean, during that those couple of weeks, there weren't like any like heavy hitters that were like uh, you know, uh, were, you know, going to knock out because some of the other ones like. Uh, um, you know, Primal Fear was like you know the, it made fifty six million dollars at, at the box office at that time and. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe April was just a, was just a bad time to release a movie back in 1996. I don't know. I guess so. so. Yeah. All right then. Well, that's James and the Giant Peach. Uh, 26 years old today. So watch it on Disney Plus if you get the chance. So. All right. Yeah. Cool. And um, I I think that in terms of like uh the animated adaptations based off of a Roald Dahl book that you should really check out. Check out Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the BFG, also 1989. 
Like, uh, that's, yeah, that's the BFG as well. But yeah, um, seriously, uh, James and the Giant Peach, uh, still a really, really enjoyable movie. Go check it out. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I didn't think we were going to really address this all that much, but it's just been, it's been so, such big news because, I mean, we pretty much release all our episodes on Twitter, and uh, we also, like, you know, interact with all our fans on Twitter as well, and uh, so, um, apparently, Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter for, I think it was, like, $57 a share or something like that, but he's, like, going to spend, like, billions, like, buying this mm. because, and his reason for buying it is because he's worried about free speech on the platform. Which, uh, you know, like, uh, here's the thing about this, like, um, again, like, it's, I almost feel like it's just kind of like, well, it's sort of like something that's kind of like going on in like in another world somewhere in regards to like, uh, you know, who owns this and who owns that. And uh, there's all these people like saying, you know, there's uh, issues with free speech and things like that. And, uh, you know, like, but here's the thing about this, any, you know, overbearing billionaire who owns a platform where people are sitting on with basically a terms of service. And uh, they have to abide by that terms of service. And you can be kicked off at any point. Like, you know, they're not bound to, like, any, um, you know, reason to, like, you know, keep you on there. Like, you know, uh, they have, you know, other people that they can also have on that platform as well. Like, you know, that's how, you know, minuscule we are, kind of like in the, in the Twitter world. So, um, for me, like, I just feel like it's just that, well, I mean, it won't, I don't know. Like, would it be any different if Elon Musk basically decided to own Twitter? Like uh, I'm probably imagining no, it, that it depends. It it depends on what uh, if he's going to be adding any additional things or if he's going to be removing anything. Well, yeah. Like well, his thing is that uh, he's worried about free speech on the platform, which is kind of like well, um, I mean, again, like I we can have this debate about whether Donald Trump should still have his Twitter account. Like uh, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people can say that so Twitter has basically been a more peaceful place since he was basically but dumped off Twitter. But uh, I mean, like uh, that in regards to like in regards to free speech, I think we can all you know have a, like a massive debate about that. But uh, I mean, it's just um, so I'm just having a look at uh, the latest in uh, regards to this because a lot has changed since like you know in regards to this news. Um, yeah, it, it, there's been a yeah, lot of changes to it, and um, you know, even, there was even some uh, hashtags. That oh, were I going see. On. So basically, the latest that they're doing is that they're doing something called poison pilling. So basically, they're like releasing more shares for people to buy, and so that's basically kind of like you know drowning out Elon Musk out of the market, basically. Oh, okay, so, gotcha. So that's basically how, uh, and uh, so um, I mean, here's the thing about this: like, you know, in regards to him saying that he's uh, about all about free speech, I mean, like, keep this in mind. Like, uh, didn't this guy, you know, uh, cancel like some, uh, you know, uh, journalist's order because he like he talked like you know badly about him or something like that? Or, like, I you know, I remember something like that. And uh, I mean, it's just it's uh, as far as I'm aware, he does like block people on Twitter. As as far as I'm aware, like, not to say that you know other people don't, but uh, I mean, in regards to him being like you know a, a free speech absolutionist, I mean, like he's not exactly you know got a you know, stellar record in regards to that. But uh, that's just that's just me. But uh, I don't know, like, uh, the way I feel about it right now is that uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who feel worried about, like, the, the direction that Twitter would go in if Elon Musk, you know, owned the uh, owned the platform. But in regards to, like, you know, you, me, and probably everyone else listening to this, uh, you know, listening to this, uh, you know, podcast right now, it would be somewhat inconsequential, pretty much. So Yeah. Yeah. Well... <laughs> That was a riveting conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's actually funny because um, there was even a lot of people who were fearing that this was going to happen. And then they did the hashtag, you know, hashtag leave Twitter or something like that. And then then, then for some no reason, I have that. no idea why. But MySpace started becoming trending on Twitter. <laughs> well, th that was because there was a joke going around that. Uh, what's his face? Uh, someone wanted to buy MySpace or something yeah. like that. I can't remember who that was, but... Uh, 
I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, uh, I mean, um, I did tweet about it, basically saying, you know, uh, Elon Musk keeps uh, crowing ambiguously about free speech without defining any specific details. Uh, so who does he think should still have an account on uh, Twitter? You know, the dickheads that uh, used to abuse people on this platform before getting banned? I mean, like his cars, like, I don't buy it. So, like, uh, so I think the uh, the whole free speech argument, I think, is just, you know, I, I, I don't know if I believe him on that or not. But, uh, I mean, in regards to, like, him actually owning the size... I mean, like, uh, it's just, it's, uh, what, what, what would change? Like, you know, he's not actually made anything, he's not actually said anything specific about it, really. When you think about it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Right, okay, so, um, anyway, we'll just see what goes on with that, but, uh, yeah, we just thought we was going to, like, you know, mention it in, in, in passing, really. So, um, Bandai Namco um, are going to be um, working on a Nintendo remake, and uh, there's a lot of speculation out there about what that Nintendo remake is, and uh, one thing that hilariously everyone kind of jumped on in regards to that was uh, um, the Star Fox series, because obviously Star Fox you know, was uh, a, a combination between Nintendo and, uh, and Bandai Namco. The only problem with it is that uh, Spawn Wave uh, incorrectly said that it was it put a picture of a Star Fox Adventures. Uh, Star Fox Adventures was a collaboration between Nintendo and Rare before they left to join X, to join Microsoft to do the Perfect Dark series. Um, what um, people were just like pointing out, um, you know, their predictions, and some people have been saying either it's going to be Metroid Prime or it's going to be. Why would it be um, Metroid Prime? Well, um, you know, there's been a talks of a Metroid Prime remaster for a long time. And if you remember, I think that it was Nam uh, Bandai Namco who were originally going to um, be one of the developers of Metroid Prime 4. But then um, they Nintendo was like saying, nope. And then they gave it over to Retro Studios instead. And yeah, but just, just continuing on, but basically they, um, as far as I'm aware, they didn't, I mean, uh, unless I'm mistaken, you mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only thing I'm aware of that they actually made, you know, did a collaboration on with Nintendo was Star Fox Assault. Exactly, so. yeah. So it's probably, that's a, that, that's the second thing I was going to say. Uh, the second one is Star Fox Assault. Like, maybe they're going to do a uh, a remaster of Star Fox, uh, Star Fox Assault and put it on the Switch. And then they were saying about, okay, well, if it's not that, then the other one might be Kid Icarus Uprising. So, yeah, there's still a debate about which one is going to be uh, Bandai Namco's um, remaster of a classic Nintendo game and going to be put on I the Switch. I could probably imagine Nintendo putting up Star Fox Fox Assault on on the Switch, you know, uh, on the Switch store, but not necessarily as like you know a remastered game. I think they were basically just running off a GameCube emulator, if anything. So like, I'm not really putting up too much hope about them ever doing anything like that with stuff. By the way, you know, Star Fox Assault isn't necessarily like the strongest like you know title in the um, in, in in the franchise. You know, like I think uh, Star I think Lilac Wars or Star Fox 64, if you will, I think has a has a far bigger um, uh, feel. I think has a far bigger um, uh, following, I think, uh, then uh, I definitely even say Star Fox or the SNES. I think that's a bigger following, I think, than Star Fox Assault or like any of the GameCube games. As no, I, I've, like, never played, I've never played Star Fox Assault, so I'm not too familiar. You're with not it. missing much. I think it's just mm -hmm. it's uh, that you know there is the, there's a bit where everyone thought they they, they killed off uh, Peppy on the series, but actually no, it, he didn't. Like you know he survived at the very end of the at the very end of the sh at the very end of the uh, the game. But uh, I think uh, Star Fox Adventures and Star Fox Assault are not Star Fox's best outings. I think, uh, you know, looking back. 
So I think uh, yeah, Star Fox 64 I, I is still my favorite game, pretty much in regards yeah, to that. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's everybody's favorite Star Fox game is Star Fox 64. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, leaving, actually, leaving that alone, like I guess I guess the question ends up being like, uh, what is what is this remastered uh, you know Nintendo game that Bandai Namco want to get their hands on again? I don't know. I mean, it, it has to be either a really, really highly demanded game that people have been wanting to see for a long time, or it might be a dark horse, and it may be like a very obscure game that um, only a few people know, and then they're bringing it back. So who knows? I'm trying, I'm trying to get a list up of like, you know, like a what what Nintendo games did, you know, Bandai Namco. I mean, I'm sure they've had a lot of like, uh, you know. Uh, you know, uh, games that have been, I mean, been released. I mean, it, yeah, so I mean, like I they've mean, done. Maybe... Let me have a look. They've done Namco Museum, which I don't think is going to be that. Uh, na- no, it's not going to be that. Disney Magical World Two, um, Namco Museum again. Uh, well, they did Little Nightmares, but I don't think that was like an official like Nintendo game. I don't think. No, it's it's not it's not, a, it's not a, it's an official. No, definitely game. not that. And I think what else they probably did, but I mean, they've done a lot of stuff like in the 2010s. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think necessarily that's for the... Let's have a look. Um, they uh, did uh, uh, Bait and Katos, which uh, Eternal uh, Eternal Wings in the Lost Ocean. Maybe it's that? I don't know. Like, I'm actually thinking about that. That's a GameCube exclusive. So, uh, I never I, I never played Bait and Katos, so I don't know what that's that's about. Um, they did... Um, I'll have a look at what other GameCube games they probably... The Nintendo games they probably did. Uh, they did One Piece Unlimited. Okay, well, but then again, I mean, Bandai, uh, I guess, um, I don't know, uh, would they remaster that? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think that's going to be it. They did, they did Dragon Ball Heroes, but that's already on the Nintendo Switch anyway, so that's in the, I don't think yeah. they remaster that. Um, there's a lot of anime games that they've done for Nintendo, so maybe it's probably one of them. I'm not too sure. I'm not sure uh, either. Yeah, but uh, so... Yeah, this is a mystery. So um, whether it's going to be a Nintendo property, or whether it's going to be an anime property, and it has to be a Nintendo exclusive, I think. Uh, well, I think it's going to be leaving us guessing. But uh, yeah, it, and once we know more information, then we'll definitely talk about it. Yeah, I do want to address the speculation though, like you know, because it, it has generated a lot of t- a lot of talk in regards to what Bandai Namco actually might do. So um, some sort of people are suggesting Kid Icarus. Yeah, people were talking about Kid Icarus Uprising being like the one that they were going to remaster because Kid Icarus was done on the 3DS and has gained a massive cult following because um, it had great gameplay and it had like um, like uh, really over the top story with Icarus uh, with number Icarus Pit and with Hades and Pelutena. So yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about it and people are hoping that that would be the one. I mean, it's the only game that um, Sora um, Ltd had ever developed this was the studio that sakurai did after he left hal labs and uh then he shut it down shortly afterwards so yeah maybe maybe it'll be that game i mean people are hoping it is that game mm-hmm. um i mean there's a lot of <laughs> daily patman basically saying like uh, it might be maybe a patman game well like uh, well good uh, on, i mean there's good a lot on of you batman fans <laughs> <laughs> okay but yeah we'll let you know if there's any further news on that but uh, that's basically where we are at the moment so Okay, um, post thoughts on uh, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, so uh, we reviewed that for In Search of the Crystal Skull, and we have to apologize for everybody, because we were going to release a commentary on the movie, but uh, we don't know where the audio's gone, and we recorded it such a long time ago that uh, I'm not too sure what actually happened to it, so uh, I do apologize, everybody, because we were going to release a commentary with it, but at the moment, like, it just seems to be lost media at the moment, we don't know where it's gone. Yeah, uh, sorry, everyone. 
Yeah, so it was. But, yeah, I'm just going to read off a comment that I received uh, from the uh, In Search of the Crystal Skull episode. It's from Great Nate, uh, who says, I love this movie. I had the movie on both VHS and DVD and watched it so many times I lost count. This would easily be in my top 10 most rewatched movies. Something I've noticed about the movie recently is that it has a very 80s Amblin tone with it, with kids going on a big adventure beyond their home slash neighborhood and going up against a big bad threat and that wants to have their parents be sacrificed to a giant chicken monster it has elements that you wouldn't probably that you would probably seen in 80s movies like explorers the goonies and the monster squad but the only thing this movie doesn't have is the kids making inappropriate jokes and cursing since it's g-rated so this would not fly Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like, uh, in, in my opinion, like, I think uh, Jimmy Neutron, I think, uh, still can be enjoyed pretty much by kids today, probably would imagine. So, like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's still, it's still got that, uh, you know, um, it's still got that buzz, I think, uh, that it could potentially generate. And uh, also, like, you know, it's, uh, it, mind you, the one thing I think that will probably turn them off is, like, it is early 3D animation. So, like, it's just, yeah. it's, uh, it's not the 3D animation as you and, uh, you and I know today. So exactly. Think, yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely much more bulky and blocky and it's much more rough. Whereas today's, um, you know, 3D animation is much more cleaner and refined. So, yeah, it, it probably would be a little bit starking if you were to look back on it, especially if you're a, a uh, you know, a young person who grew up with like the more modern 3D animation. Mm hmm. So, um, but, you know, I think you and I still, just still enjoy it, like, you know, for, you know, when we feel like, you know, we're in a bit of a goofy mood, and like, you know, when we're, like, putting on something, you know, crazy, like, you know, hey, Jimmy Neutron Boy's genius pretty much, uh, hits that on the head pretty much at that point, so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so, uh, but, uh, we urge everyone to check out the episode, because, uh, we had quite a lot to say about it, in, uh, in regards to, in regards to that, but, uh, if I do find the commentary, then I definitely will release it for everybody, because no doubt you want to watch along with us about, uh, what we think about the movie. So, cause, oh, absolutely! I mean, yes. I mean, the last commentary I think we did was probably Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think if I if I recall. Yeah, we did. We did do a Fantastic Mr. Fox commentary. Yeah, we only did like we only did two commentaries, or, or we did maybe two or three. We did um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. We did Matilda, and um, I think those were it. I think those are the only commentaries we've ever done. Yeah, like uh, you know, have we ever done one for the Roald Dahl retrospective? That was for the Roald Dahl retrospective. Which one? Yeah, have we ever done one yeah, for the Roald Dahl Yes, we, we did two, we did, and we just mentioned we them. two of them, yes. Good grief, sorry. <laughs> um, it's okay, don't worry about it. But yes, we haven't done one for In Search of the Crystal Skull yet. Yeah, I think we need, definitely need to do one. So actually, everybody, if you're listening to this and you want to see which movie that we've reviewed so far do you want us to see uh, do a commentary for, and uh, if we uh, get a chance to do one, then we'll definitely do one. So, yes, uh, absolutely. Yes, please let us know. Yeah. Okay, uh, we are about to jump into the spoiler section of uh, the uh, of the Aaron and Patricia. So we are going to be talking about the Owl House, and we're going to talk about Amphibia, and uh, where the uh, gloves are going to be off. So uh, if you're worried about being spoiled for any of the particular episodes, then please uh, turn off your ears or turn off your players or whatever, and go off do something else until you've watched the episode, and then come back to uh, listen to this end of it. So, uh, but if you're not going to come back, then uh, take care. We'll see you next week, and uh, yeah, hope you've enjoyed our company. So, all right, see you guys. Cool. Going once, going twice, going a third time, and we are officially in spoiler territory. So uh, anything that you get spoiled on with Amphibia and the Owl House, then that's on you. So uh, okay, so um, the let's talk about Amphibia just before we go into the Owl House spoilers, and that is that the Amphibia season finale is going to uh, premiere ex- exclusively on the Disney Channel, and it's also going to be titled All In. 
So, uh, and by the way, All In is not the, you know, wrestling pay-per-view that I had a couple of years ago, like, where Cody Rhodes, you know, won the uh, NWA title. Nope. Um, this is going to be... is an interesting title for the episode, though, because I think it's going to imply that there's going to be... Um, everybody from the show is going to be involved in this whole finale, I think, you know, from Mr. X all the way up to, you know, King Andreas himself. I think yeah. so. I think uh, um, so. Um, I guess. Well, here's the thing about this, though. Like, I'm not overly keen on the idea of making everyone who's going to be, you know, relying on video on demand, kind of wait for like, you know, here's all the American fans who have cable subscriptions who are going to be able to see this episode first, and then after that, you know, you're going to basically release it on video on demand. Because if anything, that's just going to push up pirating. You know, like it's uh, it's it's not really. Oh, when will Disney learn? I know that once an episode posts up, if there's if it's if fans are not going to be able to either watch it on Disney Channel or have Disney Now with their cable provider, they're going to pirate it, especially for those who are living outside of the U.S. Uh, there's part of me that believes they probably are going to because I remember I just recalled uh, going back on one of their state on one of their shareholder meetings that uh, re- was uh, on YouTube, and uh, uh, I was looking on that, and it seems that they seem to be now are going to be saying, okay, well, all our episodic shows are now going to be like airing on, on Disney Channel and going to be like you know, airing later on Disney Plus, and then all like our uh, uh, shows where it basically has like linear storylines like you know are going to be like for uh, other like you know th- those types of audiences they're going to start appearing on Disney Plus as like you know box sets so I think I think Disney are kind of picking up on that but I think it's a bit too late for the Owl House and a bit too late for Amphibia and so I think they're just going to stay the course until eventually like you know they get onto their other shows so like yeah, and yeah. like there's no I mean, here's the thing about this you know Owl House is ending Amphibia is ending like you know um, this uh, there's no reason for them to kind of like change change switch gears now it'd be nice for them for us for them to do that you know for fans like us but unfortunately like uh, that's that's not their imperative right now so mm-hmm. uh, yeah but uh, so um, everyone's you know all the Amphibia fans are going to be pretty excited for that uh, that Sunday morning so I think. Uh, I think the uh, the the pajamas are going to be a lot fresher. I think the cereal is going to be eaten out of the uh, the mixing bowls, and I think uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to be kind of sitting on the TV. You know, I, 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 you know, here's the thing: like, you know, it doesn't feel like it should be a Sunday morning, you know, you know, uh, thing that should be appearing on, you know, Sunday morning television. Sorry, Saturday morning television. I think this thing should be like, a, you know, a late night premiere. I think, like, you know, like, this is a pretty big, we've been through, like, such a pretty big, epic show with Amphibia, we're going to be talking about that, like, you know, after we talk about the Owl House, but don't you feel like, you know, we're building up to, like, you know, uh, you know something that probably would have been, like, a finale of, like, Game of Thrones or something like that, you know, like, all the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> except, except that, you know, it won't, hopefully. It won't suck. Well, <laughs> I was going to say that. Uh, I mean, the, the Game of Thrones one, not the Lord of the Rings one. Yeah. But, you know, like, we, we, we've got this fantasy epic. It's, like, it's got a pretty big story behind it, and there's a lot of stakes, you know, going towards the end of it. It doesn't feel like something that should be, like, just thrown in on you know, on, a, on a morning special. Like, you know, I feel like this should be, like, you know, hey, hey, everyone's going to be trying to chiming in on prime time. It's going to be, you know, either, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. You know, after everyone's done with, you know, dinner and everything like that, we're going to sit down and we're going to, like, watch, like, the final episode of Amphibia, and we're going to see how all this plays out. Like, you know, like, it, it feels like something you want to go to sleep with. Really, 
more than you're gonna like yeah, want to start your day with really like you know like everyone's gonna be like oh he's gonna like oh my god and that's all he's gonna be talking about like for the rest of the day like you know like he's yeah, just gonna it's like did you see what happened and everybody's gonna be talking about it at um you know at their homes and everybody's gonna be like messaging people and it's gonna be like this was like the best thing that happened to me today yeah exactly so uh but you know um again you know we're not happy about the fact that so uh, you know it's not gonna be on video on demand because you know we're gonna be able to see it like so basically if we're gonna be doing like the final episode of Anvil unfortunately we're gonna to have to wait for it to come out on video on demand before we can see it so yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah so yep yeah, so uh, you know heads up to you for everyone who's got a cable subscription so you know congratulations to you you're gonna see it before we all do so like yep. Uh, yep there we go anyway um we are now going to move on to the owl house and uh, this is the episode where you know so again like uh, we you were expecting um, an episode where it's just going to be like, oh, hey, this is how Ida met Rain, and uh, this is just, is, this is like all the you know the, the cutesy stuff that they basically they get into. Nope. Um, we. <laughs> uh, Why do we keep falling for this? We, yeah, it was like you know um, we, we we are just suckers for this stuff, aren't we? Like you know, it's just kind of like. Uh, we 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 can't help ourselves. We just kind of we just you know we're kind of wandering, expecting like something else, and then nope, it's something completely and utterly different, and it throws us in like three different directions, and then finally we we come out and like we just kind of feel like we have like wobbly heads as we go on. But it's a good feeling, not a bad feeling, thankfully. Yeah, 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 yeah so. exactly, exactly. It's it's a good feeling. It's a feeling that we've gone through many times, and yet at the same time, every time that we read a plot synopsis, we're gonna be like, oh, this is just a a light episode because we went through something heavy but nope <laughs> the same thing happened with knock knock knocking on hootie's door it's like oh you know hootie's gonna be helping out loose Ida and king i'm sure that uh you know that's gonna be fun <laughs> looking back on it is like oh my god well let's see we have the uh we have the introduction of rain with uh you know the fact that Ida and lith are going over to hexide and then Ida gets herself into massive trouble again because yeah. she's such a prankster and then we have principal faust uh, which by the way a clever reference for those who don't know who faust is so um faust is the name of a classic german legend based off of johann george faust and it is based off of a tragic play where faust is highly successful yet dissatisfied with his life decides to make a pact with the devil in exchange for his soul for unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasure so we know that Dana Terrace is a huge fan of like uh, her Hemardemius Bosch and various other uh, forms of artists who depict like monsters and demons and ghouls and that kind of stuff. I mean, we see that a lot on her um, social media where she loves posting up like MC Escher and various things. So when I hear that there's a principal named Faust, uh, Faust, I'm sorry. I wasn't too surprised. Oh, by the way, actually, we forgot to mention this, actually. Uh, shout out to Dana, actually. She, uh, unfortunately, uh, she ended up, I don't know if you realize, I don't know if you know about this, uh, Patricia, she ended up in hospital. Uh, yeah, you know, I yeah. think she was having an appendectomy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, by the way, I hope she gets well soon and uh, shout out to her. And uh, by the way, she's asking for people to send pictures of their pets to uh, cheer her up. So, like, uh, if you yeah, get yeah. a chance to send a picture of your pets, then definitely do that for her. So, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I, if that's the case, I have to send a picture of Riley. Yeah, well, uh, um, I'm sure I've got, sure got some pictures of um, you know, my sister's cat somewhere. And I think she'll, she'll, like, she'll like all of those. So, well, I'll just have permission mm -hmm. before I send them, though. Uh, but, um, if you, anyway, go back to the Owl House. Um, so, um, the, the one thing, though, before we 
actually get into like you know the the meat and potatoes of the of the of the, of the backstory is that uh, so uh, Luz is learning pretty quickly how to do different types of of combinations of glyphs, which uh, is pretty cool because uh, she's uh, now really starting to master wild magic. Pretty, you know, pretty good. And basically, they need to give these things in because you know they need to. I mean, Luz has been quite through a lot of emotionally. I think we can say over the last couple of episodes, and now I think she needs a bit of development in that. But obviously, it's because she's uh, wanting to distract herself from like missing her mom and things like that. And uh, yes, exactly. Like, yeah, so. and, and, and for those who are complaining in the last episode, it's like, oh, she traveled back in time to see Philip Wittebane, and all she learned was like that, flo- like what was it, like that levitation one. It's like, come on, guys, give her a break. Yeah, she like- was able to learn things in like two or three months that it took Philip Wittebane decades to learn. Exactly. Like, I mean, l- 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 Luz is slowly sitting into our avatar rank at this point. I think, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, he's like, this is what this is what chorus should have been. <laughs> no, but um, oh but uh, you know, like, um, but you know, Luz is developing, which is, I think, is, I think, is very good. But obviously, she's carrying emotional baggage with her, which is very sad. And I mean, so, I don't like, blame her for doing this because, I mean, we saw in the last episode that she was celebrating the anniversary of her dad dying by trying to block it away from Amity and everybody else, and distracting herself for help. Helping Amity a part of uh, being a part of this um, witch duel, and then she decides to join it herself because Amity's doing such a great job at it, and so she was holding it in. And then we saw in the episode before that that we saw that Philip Wittebane was being such a jerk ass, and she thought that Philip was going to be the person to help her get back home, but that didn't turn out very well. And then we saw in the episode before that that Amity knew that Luce was doing the phone messages to her mom. So yeah, Luce has been going. Going through a lot over the past few weeks. She has, yeah. Like uh, she's been through disappointment. She's been through like all sorts of emotions, and so like uh, you know, it's. Uh, I really hope though that they're not going down like you know the Steven Universe route. Like I don't want them to like you know do like you know a psychological you know destruction of like Luz. Like you know she's such a she's such a delightful character, and I think she's someone you can really can look up to as as somebody. And uh, I don't know how I would feel if like you know they 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 did that with her. Really, like you know, it's just it's like you know, she ends up in you know, she ends up in a nightgown, like in some like in a like in a hospital, like you know, having to like work out like all the baggage and everything like that. Like not saying that like that's not a you know something that they they could do, but I don't know. Like we've already seen it already with Steven Universe, and it's like it's kind of like it's it's had a mixed reaction, I think, in uh, in regards to that. But, I mean, uh, we, we did we did praise it when that episode first came out. That wow, they were able to go there when a lot of shows would just stay away from it. Yeah. But but, but, but in, in the context that, of Steven Universe, that makes sense because he's he's yes, been it through. Make a lot it makes a lot of sense. But in the context of Lose, I don't know. I, I I don't think that. I just feel like they shouldn't go in that direction. But that's just me. Like fair uh, enough. You, fair enough. So um. So, yeah, unfortunately, so, so, also, they give it, they, also keep in mind they also killed off the main character too. Beefy Bob, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, so the, so the the spells that we saw her learn was there was a wind spell where she was able to like uh, do like a little tornado. Then there was a um, water fountain spell where she was able to release some water. There was a petrification spell where she was able to turn. Um, <laughs> 
both bob into stone but then there was the monster arm spell which there was a monster arm that was like sticking out like crazy and then hootie ate it because of course he did yeah so by the way that's yeah. actually a reference to like the fight that she was in with bellows if you recall yeah that's a great little callback absolutely yeah. So, yeah. it sounds to me like she kind of like has like taken on board what's uh his thing about this like uh, i'm a bit disappointed it is looking more like more and more likely that you know philip widdabane is bellows now and like uh, i think it was pretty much given away i think at the uh, at the end of the other episode but uh i don't know like i i just feel like i, w- I- i'm still kind of like holding out like there's some kind of other twist to it like, you know, he's just it's like, uh, yeah, like, you know, this isn't like, I mean, the one thing I'm thinking of is that, uh, you know, he's still like, uh, he's not actually like, you know, th- you know physically is, you know, Philip Witherbane. Like, he's like, I'm hoping that he's still like the story of like, he's transferring himself into like other like, you know, Grimwalkers that, uh, you know, that's how he's been keeping himself alive. And that's why he's keeping Hunter around because like, he's going to transfer himself into Hunter in order to like, you know, uh, relive like, you know, all the, all the, all the bits of his life that he's like missed out on, you know, like, because uh, he's been, you know, he spent such a long time in like, in the, uh, in the uh, in in the in the human sorry in the uh, in the demon realm because of the human yeah, realm yeah, yeah. yeah so um, I'm still kind of holding out for that but uh, anyway go, so that's where we actually are with Lou's like she's le- learning a lot more glyphs and she's becoming she's there I say she's becoming becoming more powerful witch just because because of it so well, like absolutely uh, yeah I, especially I, since she's like still experimenting yeah exactly so um you know Eden can see that she's trying to distract herself with all of this stuff and uh, so she decides to like her to to uh, tell uh, Luz uh, the story about when she finally met when she fi- when she met Rain Whispers uh, all those years ago so uh, what you you know this is this is actually a very cute episode because now all the adult characters are kids. Because it's being uh, told, it's uh, it's kind of like a bit of a. It kind of reminds me a little bit like a Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time when you're playing as young Link and like you see like all the you know you like you see like all the young characters like at the very beginning yeah, yeah, and yeah. then and then you travel yeah. back and forward in time and then you see them as adults. So like yeah, saying, yeah, it, it, very uh, Muppets esque, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So um, so you see, uh, so yeah, Eater and uh, Lilith were, were incredibly close. You know, like, uh, yes. it's, 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 it's almost sad that I'm like, listening to them kind of saying, oh, yeah, we're going to take on the world, you know, we're going to do it together and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's almost Rambo-esque, like, you know, when Rambo talks about, like, oh, we're going to, you know, uh, dri- drive the car until the wheels fall off and, like, you know, just see, you know, where then you see him break down after that. Like, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like, a, yeah, flashbacks to that, really. Like, uh, Yeah, yeah, to- I mean, especially since this takes place seven months before the Coven's Day trials, where Lilith would eventually curse Ida because she was so jealous of, um, you know, how much powerful that she is. And, uh, yeah, this was back when they were really, really close, and they were not only, like, really close in terms of, like, being friends, because according to what Ida said, that's her only friend, like... You know, before, you know, Rain came into her life, Ida didn't have any friends, mm-hmm. which is kind of like similar to what Luz is going through in which like, you know, other than her mom, you know, Luz didn't have any friends in school either. Yeah. So um, we end up going into the school. And by the way, um, it looks like, um, you know, Darius, um, Odalia and uh, Alador were all friends at one point. So I yeah, think, uh, they were friends at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also we uh, get a shot of Bash's mom as well. Like I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, oh really? It? I didn't notice. Yeah, that. there was a free there was a free eye girl that walked past on the on the in, in the background. 
Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so we got that got a glimpse of her as well. And uh, also we got to uh, see... We got, actually, there's a... Can we go to the adults? I think we saw Willow's, like, you know, dads as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Willow, Willow's dads. Yeah, I, I did see them, yes. Yeah, so we saw all of them. But uh, obviously our important characters basically Eda and Rain, I think, uh, in in all of this. Yes, but, yes. Uh, I mean, obviously before we get to that, I mean, so... Um, principal Bump is vice principal at this point, which... Uh, yes, he's the vice principal. Uh, but here's the thing, like, this is, ca- this is causing a bit of debate amongst the Owl House fans because it's causing, like... Uh, saying it's a continuity error because the founding of Exide was basically when you know Bump when he was younger and basically all the other ones like you're trashing like the old school and building another school on top of it and that's basically, but they're saying that's basically how he became principal. So you know, this this whole introduction of principal, you know, principal Farsh is um, you know creating a bit of a debate about like, well, that's creating a continuity error because why did he become well, principal, not Bomb? So because I mean, we can assume that this was when Ida was a little bit younger, uh, so we can assume that this was like. Um, around the time in which, you know, she was getting her curse and then maybe uh, Faust was taken down and then Principal Bump took over, so... No, no, like, if, if you look in the, um, in, in the, in, in the, apparently in the story, like, uh, Bump was, like, a, you know, uh, around, like, you know, Lou's age, I think, when he actually, like, when the rebellion of the school actually happened. So, like... Oh. Uh, yeah, so that's where people's fans are, like, debating, like, well, how come he didn't become Principal after that? Like, uh, and it's because, you know, he was the one who led the rebellion against the old school, or, like, you know, destroyed the old school. Or whatever. Interesting. So, yeah. Now, some people are debating like he probably wasn't old enough to be principal at that time, so yeah, obviously he, someone he else took it over. He definitely looks a lot younger. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, uh, Vice Principal Bump is uh, you know a very interesting character because he didn't have like all his confidence at that point. Like you know, he was young, he was naive, and uh, he's uh, you know someone who's kind of like just kind of starting off at the at the very beginning. And also, he's got the, like this overbearing principal who like just won't let, let any anybody in that school breathe. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of like in that um, episode where um, Principal Warts was going above and beyond just strict, and then Mr. Simmons said, "You know, Principal Warts, you're taking this way too far. You know, I've seen you yell at all these kids, and I get it that there is a fine line with like making sure that the school is in order with discipline, but you know, there's such thing as taking it too far when like the best school in Hexside got expelled because he was chewing too loudly or his shoes were too squeaky. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, dude." Th- th- this guy's worse than Principal Watts. I think we can all. I think we can all yes, agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Dare, dare, I say <laughs> probably, dare I say he's probably worse than the Trunchville in uh, in Matilda. Oh, oh wow. I mean, that's that's good. that's, that's that, a debate in itself, but I uh, think it's yeah. a debate in itself. Yeah, I mean, especially since now we see Principal Bomb throwing, you know, children inside the detention hall, and we know what the detention hall is in the first season. So yeah, it's it's interesting to say where principal bump started off and where he is I, now. I, I love the bit when like when Eda's like in the in the, in the principal's office and like the principal says like you know you fed you fed the detention all gelatin green gelatin and like he was like it was his birthday which is kind of like uh, which is hilarious but then you gotta like you know caring of like because Eda like you know um does actually you know even though she's kind of like a, a you know massive rebel and like does the crazy all this chaos she is really caring character like we, I mean yeah, we knew that is. already we knew that already with Luz but we now know that from a very young age she does really care about other people and uh, absolutely so. yeah and i think that's why ida had such a really close connection with loose when she first came into the boiling aisles because i think that ida sees loose a little bit on herself exactly so so um we get into that and uh, then it's uh, we we hear about that um 
uh, Vice Principal Bump uh, turns around to where the principal says, "Hey, look, you know, um, these kids, you know, all have like, you know, all redeemable. Like, uh, you know, they do have like, you know, good characters." And so uh, the principal like holds into that and says, "Okay, take Ida to uh, this competition to compete with all the other witches and uh, you know get get one of those ribbons. And uh, if you do get it, then great. But if you don't, then obviously you're both gone from the school." So obviously that's uh, you know raises the stakes on that, and uh, so here's the thing about this: like uh, they go to what is it called? If if what I think is, is, is yeah, what it, it's called. Yeah, it says for the it says for instructing future witches of tomorrow. Yeah. If what? And, and to be honest, like you know when they first go in, like it looks like nothing, and I, I immediately thought, hang on a second, like I remember going to like these kind of like these events like this, and like it's uh, they, this is kind of like what they're like, you know, they're very quiet and like you know they're not very you know uh, descriptive, and it's only until Tara comes into the scene that basically she starts brightening things up like yeah, and then know. she decides and then she decides that if what was a terrible name and so she turned it into help enhance coven know-how aka heck hmm so um here's the thing about this though like you know um i mean we're skipping over a lot of stuff but uh, i'm starting to wonder like you know um terra is giving rain you know the um the the the, the potion at the moment in regards yeah. to by the way we'll get to the end of this so you know we're, with the moment. Oh, yeah. everyone's we'll gonna get to the end you know like it i don't know like you know do you think terra also herself might like somewhat be like is you know at the very end of like all like the competition and everything like that like uh, she herself is somewhat showing kind of a bit of a rebellious side because like she's even saying to like you know uh Ida and Rain is like oh hey you know like you guys got a rebellious angle I, I like you too and like she even like even spares you know principal but vice principal bump and uh, Ida basically being expelled and being fired from the school so like yeah. uh, I don't know like uh, that's in that's interesting that uh, she, yeah, she I mean, did that maybe that she sees a lot of fire in them and it's like oh this would be great coven material but i think that there is something there that we don't know about yet but for now a lot of people are saying that yeah i mean kiki mora was bad enough but Tara takes it up another level of just being a psychotic bitch. Yeah, well, at least that's what we know for now. I mean, like, yeah, uh, who, now, who, yeah. who knows what... I mean, we'll get to the end of this when we get to the end of the episode, but... Uh, so, um, Ida meets up with Rain, and it's as adorable as you imagine it to be. So uh, okay. It's so, so wonderful. Where we have Rain you know, introducing themselves to Ida and they just hit it off right away. Like it was like just so wonderful just seeing them together and seeing interact with one another. And, um, you know, we have uh, Ida and Rain being able to just, you know, do all of these things together. It's like, you know, who's good at the strength? Who's good at intelligence? Who's good at, you know, sheer willpower and all that kind of stuff. And they just immediately click. And yeah. Ida's never felt this way before about anybody. So this was such a great way of introducing these two characters that we know would have a stronger relationship later on. By the way, um, when Ida says think fast and she throws, uh, you know, the, the Grudgeable to rain, you know, rain uh, catches it, and uh, at that moment, I think that's when Ida kind of like uh, fell for rain. I think at that point, yeah, yeah, recall. especially since uh, Ida assumed that rain was just very intelligent and very smart because they had won two ribbons in a row. So I guess that she assumed that rain would probably be very athletic. So, yeah, Ida was very surprised when she threw the grudge bee ball at Rain, and Rain was able to catch it like a boss. Yeah, and uh, now they started to look very cute. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so um, so basically, um, it's kind of funny though because like they go through like all these trials and then uh, they go to like the, what they call it the closing ceremony. By the way, this looks like you know a smaller like the you know version of like the uh, the um, the the convention store. The, the convention episode. Yes, you're right. Yeah, exactly. So um, we go back into like the the smaller like version of that arena. Uh, Tara then says that there's like going to be like a final thing that uh, basically violates a load of rules, but she doesn't care because you know terror so um <laughs> so she puts everyone in into like a like a a, 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 um, a vegetative maze and uh, then um basically dies them both them up into covens and wild witches so the wild witches are allowed to use whatever magic they want and then the other kids are like you know uh, uh, compressed to like you know using the magic that basically you know involves to their track so um re Ida and rain end up on different teams and so like but they end up getting separated anyway in all the chaos and so um the Coven team all decide they're going to gang up on Rain and uh, take take them in, but uh, you know Ida then basically turns on her own teammates and then throws them out of the arena. And uh, then uh, Terra picks up on this and uh, realizes that uh, you know uh, there's something more interesting going on here. So she basically dismantles the entire arena and puts uh, Rain in one corner and puts Ida in another and uh, expects them basically to fight to the death pretty yeah. much and uh, so it looks like they're gonna like have this massive fight but in actual fact it turns into a cute dance routine and basically they they, they try to blast terror <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, oh wow! And then it's almost like it's almost like you know the uh, the uh, the finale to like three hundred, like you know when um, when King Leonidas basically throw you know uh, throws the throws the spear and like it just like catches the side of like you know the the you know, the massive prince guy. So uh, like um. It's almost kind of like akin to that, and because because uh, the, uh, the you know it looks like she's like she's blocked it all off, but in actual fact, like you know, it has singed like a bit of a hair. So uh, and you think like oh after that like you know the, the, here here comes an ass kicking, but uh, thankfully enough like she actually appreciates all the rebellionism in both of them, and uh, decides to let them off the hook. And is she even better than that? She actually turns around to, uh, um, to as we said before, uh, to Vice Principal Bump and to, to Ida that uh, Ida's not going to get expelled and Vice Principal Bump's not going to lose his job. So um, that all comes into fruition. And uh, but then um, we basically well, one of the things that seems to happen in the episode is that uh, Lilith and Ida seem to be kind of parting ways a little bit as well in this episode because yeah, yeah, basically we knew from the very beginning that Lilith really wanted to be in the Empress Coven and Ida does not but we have a situation where she's just concentrating on being the best student at Hexide and Ida's just worrying about like being a goofball and so yeah we do see that separation there but Ida the reason why she wanted to do this competition in the first place was because she didn't want to be separated from her sister in Hexide and she didn't want to be expelled now I mean you could argue that oh you know she can see her sister at home but you know what is she going to do at home and what school is she going to be transferred over to you know yeah i was going to say like i mean um, i would say that's probably better built up than say say for example captain underpants the first movie when they were talking about like splitting the two characters up into two different classes but you know that's that's just me but mm -hmm. uh, uh so um we, the, the green thing is that apparently uh, uh rain has decided to transfer out of uh out of that out of that of her other school and uh has, has now uh, decided to uh, go with uh with hexide and so uh there yeah, they are yeah. rain went over to another school called St. Epiderm right before they transferred over to Hexide. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so then they... Uh, by the way, uh, and Rain is uh, the person who introduced um, uh, Edith to Appleblood. Yeah, that's right. For better or for worse. <laughs>
<laughs> for better for worse. Yeah, because um, Ida was drinking another um, juice called Ghoul Aid, which, ha! And then there was another drink that uh, Ida was drinking over at the... Um, at the uh the the gathering which um rain also helped out with as well but yeah so this is where um ida first got introduced to apple blood and it all went downhill Hill from, from there. there pretty much yeah <laughs> so uh, uh and this is this is one of the sometimes i kind of like him for you know compare uh, ida to rick sanchez in some points because it's like you know like yeah, uh, yeah yeah or like barney from the simpsons when he first got a taste of oh, i don't think she's barney i think uh, i think that's no, a bit no, i'm just uh, talking about like you know where the 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 you know uh, where have you been all <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But um, I, th that was really cute in which when Ida was telling the story and then Loose King and Hootie had fallen asleep and then, you know, she's trying to, um, you know, think that Rain is doing okay, even though that, you know, she assumed that they have been brainwashed when we saw in Follies at the Coven's Head Parade, but... Yeah, let's get to the ending. Okay, oh, good grief. We were not expecting this ending at all. At no. all. None of it. So, so we, we, we uh, know oh. from, you know, Follies of the Coven's Day Parade that um, Tara had been brainwashing Rain with a tea that she's been giving them. And we knew this because in... If you remember from the previous episode, Eater's Requiem, that Rain was part of the Bards Against the Throne, a.k.a. the Bats. And the reason why is because they want to overtake and overthrow Emperor Bellows because their rules over at the Coven was getting way too out of hand. So Kikimura captured Rain, and then when we saw in Follies at the Coven's Day Parade, um, we assumed that Terra was controlling Rain, and we saw the uh, confrontation with Rain and Ida that Rain had no collections of what happened and uh they told ida to go away but then the twist happens yeah this entire time rain has been whistling into the concoction and uh been changing the recipe and there's no and uh, they have not been brainwashed this entire time or losing their their memory so exactly and this is great foreshadowing because this happened earlier in the episode when ida was drinking the the drink from the event and saying like oh man even the the junk they give us his junk and then rain whistled into the cup saying drink this and she's like wow this is delicious how did you do that and and then they said oh you just changed the sound waves and you can be able to alter it and so that was great foreshadowing because then we saw rain whistling to the drink which we assumed they were blowing it to keep it cool and then they drank it and he was not affected with their memory at all exactly that, that that's an incredible twist like uh, you would not expect that whatsoever, and then, but then there's another. That's not all. Oh, that's not all. So if all. you if you will recall, um, Darius uh, did a pretty interesting twist with uh, Hunter in the last episode, where he basically said that uh, it was pretty cool that uh, Hunter had rebelled pretty much against his emperor, you know, uh, in regards to finding these new witches, and that he was just going to basically going to also Darius 
Warriors himself said, oh, I'm just going to be dumping these kids back at Hexide anyway because we weren't going to want them. And so um, he's even defying orders against the Emperor. Now, um, his abomination, his little abomination chibi thing that I think he has on his head uh, is now delivering secret messages over to Rain and is actually giving Rain the um, description of the uh, of a um, draining spell that uh, so the the idea of this is from what we can see on the plan that uh, that he that Darius has got hold of is that they're gonna plan to take all the witches from the covens and surround them around the tower and then something is basically going to dra drain all the magic up into the eclipse now um, that's a discussion within itself but before we even get to do that Darius is in the resistance rain is in the resistance and there's another thing about this too I know this sounds really crazy but I can't rule out Terra being part of that resistance as well. Like, Which is interesting because, I mean, we knew how she treated Kiki Mora, saying, like, you have to stay in the parade, and, you know, you can't just leave us, so I mean, it, it's it's interesting. It's like, is she? I don't know. I mean, from what we've seen in this episode, anything could happen. Exactly. Like, you know, I, I don't really see, you know, if Terra turns around and says, I mean, I, I mean, here's the thing about this, like, I still believe that, you know, we are still going to, like, see, like, you know, the, 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 the coven heads, like, you know, all turn on each other, and, like, you know, some of them are like, saying, oh, this is BS, we're not going along with this, we know something's up, and then we have got, like, all the other coven heads saying, you know, oh, no, this is for, like, you know, uh, the day of unity, or, like, the great journey, or, like, you know, kind of like in Halo, or something like that, and then they're all just going to, like, you know, there's going to be this massive fight within the Empress Coven, they're all just basically going to knock the shit out of each other. And uh, that's basically how, you know, this is all going to play out. So I can see that happening in, like, you know, some kind of finale of, like, for season two. But uh, I don't know, like, you know, here's the thing, like, they all seem to be kind of, like, you know, um, catching on to, like, something isn't right here. Like, even Rawdon Wrath was, like, turning around saying, you know, uh, in, in the in the, uh, the Reaching Out episode, that uh, he was even having his doubts about that the Day of Unity was going to be a good thing for all, you know, magical kind at this point. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and, and but mind you, now that we know that, let's get back to this plan. So, there is a draining spell that's going to happen uh, on the Day of Unity where all the uh, members of the Covens are going to be gathered around the tower and the magic is going to be sucked up through the tower and then uh, shot up into the Eclipse. Now, here's my theory on this. I don't think Emperor Bellus no longer is the big bad guy of this show. I think it's the Collector. Ooh, it's kind of like with Amphibia, in which, yeah, King Andreas isn't really the bad guy. It's the core. Yeah, and so I think uh, there is basically, if you remember Golden Axe, if you remember, if you played the, uh, the the extended game, you know, Death Adder was not the final boss in uh, Golden Axe. You know, there was Death Bringer who basically lived in exactly. like in the uh, in 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 the in, in the basement basically of the of the castle. So there's right. part of me that believe that you know um, we're going to talk about this in Amphibia too, but I think uh, Ben Bellas I think has been taking orders from the Collector, and maybe he's probably made a deal with him. So um, the Collector has given him the like ability. To potentially, like, you know, live long enough or whatever to, like, you know, see through his mission to basically get back to the human realm. And in return to the Collector, he says, okay, you want all this magic that, um, to make yourself the most powerful being in, like, all of existence, and you want to collect all of that? Okay, fine, I'll give it to all of you as long as I can return home. Like, you know, for, I think Bellus is basically treating the, uh, the wishes as, like, collateral for, like, uh, him to basically return back. Yeah, and we saw this with Philip Wittebane saying that he hated witches. So I take it that 
he's willing to do anything for him to return home, even if it means jeopardizing witches so that he can be able to follow up with his plans. And in return, the collector gets whatever they want. Mm hmm. So, uh, yeah, like, uh, I'm going to be very interested to meet the Collector. And, hey, mind you, there is this quite crazy theory going around, like, you know, the Collector is somehow, like, uh, you know, uh, related to Luz in some way, which I think is a bit far-fetched, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> I know. like, the whole thing the good witch Azura being Luce's mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, mind you, like, I still hold up a hope that, you know, um, you know, the the good witch Azura is like, you know, like, uh, Luz and Amity's daughter or something like that. That'd be kind of cool if, like, you know, that, that ever happened. <laughs> but, yeah, it'll be kind of, like, infamous in which when, <laughs> um, you know, uh, the main character meets up with, like, uh, their themselves from the future or No More Heroes 3 in which um, Travis Touchdown takes down uh, one of his uh, descendants by accident. Yeah. Anyway, we're kind of like waffling on into other uh, Owl House theories, but uh, you know, once again, a great episode from the Owl House. So you know, uh, kudos yeah, to yeah, everybody and, and who's and worked little, on it. And one little thing that we forgot to mention in regards to like the Day of Unity, um, and then Rain was asking the little abomination, "How are you going to be able to take this down?" And then there was another piece of paper that revealed Owl Lady. So they're saying that the only way they can be able to defeat this is with Ida's help. And then Rain said, "No, we need to find another way because I don't want to endanger Ida." You know, if I was if I was standing right next to them, I'd basically be saying saying to them, get 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 over. Like, look at the greater good here. We've got this. Uh, we've got this psychopath who uh, looks in, in that in that in that uh, plan to be draining all the magic out of the boiling aisles, and uh, potentially you could be causing some other chaos with this. Uh, you know, um, with this collector. Imagine. I don't know if uh, the Covenants are even aware of the existence of the collector, but uh, I. Uh, I mean, there, you know, something good is going on. I know. <laughs> You, you like you, you love Ida and everything like that, but we've got to think about the greater good here. Like, you know, it's, I don't know, like, imagine if Lumity was put on the line in regards to, like, saving the Boiling Owls or, like, saving the, you know, saving Earth from, like, being invaded. I'd be kind of like, well, yeah, it's sad that Lumity might have to be sacrificed in order to, like, you know, create a, you know, to save the world, but in, in the grandest scheme of things... You know, like, uh, it, it's, it is Russian novel stuff. I've got to be honest with you about that. But, uh, I mean, like, you've got to think of the greater good sometimes. You know, like, uh, about what's going on here. So, like, uh, yeah, like, I hope someone talks, you know, rain out of, like, saying, I, I know you care about Ida, but at the same time, she's the most powerful witch in the Boiling Isles, and, like, we really need her right now. Like, you yeah, know. Yeah, but I can, I can understand where they're coming from in terms of, like, that... Um, Ida might be powerless because we remember when we saw in Ida's Requiem, uh, they saw Ida trying to control bard magic, but she wasn't able to do it. And the only way that they were able to do it together was to play the Ida's Requiem together, and they almost got killed for it. So mm. I guess, you know, because I mean, remember that we only saw like one glyph that you know, uh, Ida was able to use, and that was the invisibility glyph. So, I take it that Rain probably doesn't know the capabilities that Ida was able to learn with the remaining glyph magic. Also, I think uh, there's the other thing about it as well, is that uh, um, uh, what's-his-face? Um, uh, what, there was something else to it as well. I don't think Rain has seen Harpy Ida, either. So, no. she, uh, they've not had a chance to actually see um, you know, um, Ida control, you know, the Owl Beast. And uh, actually, it's going to be interesting, actually. Like, uh, you know, uh, maybe if this draining spell somehow goes ahead, maybe it might, like, uh, drain the uh, the Owl Beast out of Eda, maybe. 
Like, you know, I don't and, know. Uh, we'll see. Maybe that'll still be the case. Like, you know, oh, hey, we just, uh, maybe the Covenants will probably find a way to actually cure Eda and maybe cure Lilith. And maybe it's going to, like, okay, the, these, you know, almost two powerful witches have got their powers back. And now let's go kick Bellus's ass and let's deal with this collector guy. You know? So, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot to uncover, and uh, like we like we always say before, we get answers, but then we're just thrown in with some more questions. Well, that just raises further questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, next week's episode is going to be huge. This is the episode in which Luce and Hunter are going to be going into the mindscape of somebody, and that's going to be big. I looking at the screenshots, I think it's Hunter. Like, mm. I think Hunter's going to go into his own mind. I think, and then, like, uh, he's basically going to be confronted with, like, you know, all the lies and all the propaganda of the Empress Coven, and uh, then he's going to realize that all of it is basically, you know, is is not what he thinks it is. And uh, oh, good grief! But imagine if it is Bellows, the the mind that they go into. Like, oh, that would be so amazing! And, you know, like, and then he discovers, like, you know, he's actually a Grimwalker this entire time, and, like, his whole life has been a lie. And, like, you know, and that that's the thing that basically, you know, moves the needle, you know, for Hunter to, like, you know, abandon the Empress Coven and go into hiding, maybe, with the into the Owl House. Like, uh... Wow. Well, like, you know, well, mind you, would you, would you put it past this episode to do that? <laughs> nope. Compared you to everything what? else that's going on? Every single time that we see a plot synopsis and we're going to be like, oh, that's what it's about. Okay, that's going to be pretty cool. And then all of a sudden it goes a complete 180, revealing something else. It's like, I shouldn't be surprised at any of this. No. Anyway, we're talking about next week now, so I think uh, let's keep on this week because uh, I know we've of Alpha Sounds and we disappointed, but we also got a really good Amphibia episode to talk about too. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so um, the first Amphibia part of this episode is basically um, Anne Boonchoy and all her frog friends basically fall into a cult. I think uh, that is uh, basically what happens. And so um, they are basically, you know, Hot Pop is feeling pretty down because, like, he's trying to, like, recruit people into the Resistance, but he's recruiting people into, like, you know, saying, oh, hey, we're good farmers. Rather than kind of like, you know, we're good fighters or anything like that. And uh, he's a bit disappointed that that basically doesn't win anybody around. But then um, they accidentally fall into this, uh, into basically into this like small little town that basically no one's ever seen before. And uh, there's a reason why, because uh, it's basically like controlled by like uh, the uh, the spore that we met before, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, yeah, off the Perry Gary, yes. Yeah. So the Perry Gary, from yeah. the episode Children of the Spore, where Hop Pop felt that he wasn't getting control of Anne, um, Sprig, and Polly because they were disobeying him, uh, then, you know, he found a spore that was able, that he can be able to control them. And so then, it, you know, he tried to destroy it. And then we find out that Jeremy actually drank from it. And that's how um you know gary was uh, able to live and that's when he uh you know was like wandering around and he was in the desert and he was almost eaten by buzzards and you know going through the rain but then you know he went over to a uh, um you know, like this like nice little farm town called gardenton and he was able to build a friendship with the frogs and they were able to become better gardeners without mind control and then like you know i was able to control them without even using my powers and yeah, so basically it was essentially that, where we got to meet up with an old foe again. Yeah, 
So, um, you know, it's a pretty, um, pretty basic episode, really. Like, you know, it's uh, sort of kind of reminds me, of, like, you know, the mo- the movementarians, I think, episode, like, you know, from The Simpsons. Like, you know, like uh, things yeah, aren't yeah, all like this. It does make a lot of sense because we are building up into the massive war, and we do know about the prophecy from the last episode. So they are trying to get more people so that they can be able to build up the resistance. So yeah. we saw this in the last episode where My Beatrix God. and the Toads were a part of this, and now we have Alpha Perry Gary and his frogs being a part of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I like the thing when they said, like, oh, hey, you know, uh, look, you know, we've got a bigger enemy to deal with here. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I agree, because they, now, now that the uh, now that Andreas knows that we're, that we're here. So uh, he's basically, you know, uh, said, OK, well, we'll join the resistance and let us know when you when you need us. And uh, but funnily enough, like, uh, um, and actually brings up that uh, the um, uh, what, what the, the the mind control uh, collars that uh, they're using, they might be using some other fungus. So there, apparently, there might be a second like fungus control fungus out there, you know, uh, controlling people. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, mind you, I, I'm I'm wondering though, like you know, I don't know if I overly trust that fungus to be honest with you. Like I kind of thinking that uh, they're gonna probably you know team up with the other fungus and probably like you know uh, betray you know Anne and everybody else. I think they're gonna be like the flood from Halo, personally. Mm. But uh, that's just me. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, so that's that episode, and uh, then we get the episode that everybody is talking about, which is the King and the Core. And uh, yeah, so this was a big episode. Yeah. So uh, we finally get the reveal of uh, Darcy uh, as as uh, she's now known as, which uh, I don't know. Like uh, it was kind of. So I mean, we've already got kind of like a reveal of like what Darcy looks like, but uh, I don't know. Like uh, it just kind of like it's kind of throw gets thrown in. Like oh hey, we've already met Darcy already. You know, like I don't know. I would like more of like have more of it, more of a like you know a, th- a theatrical reveal. I think uh, for this episode, but uh, that's just me being picky. So okay, fair uh, enough. It kind of makes me but feel yeah, like he's kind of, he's kind of throwing into an. Also, the name of Darcy, by the way, is not a fan name. This name was actually revealed in the credits. So yeah, <laughs> this isn't like a lucidity lumity kind of situation. Okay, it people? isn't. No. So um, apparently, Darcy has. Uh, well, she has got um, um, you know uh, Marcy stored somewhere in her memory banks. She's actually um, not. Uh, she's actually picked up still some of her like her faults, if you will. So she's still falling over, still like you know likes like quirky stuff and things like that. And I think he's probably still playing games, from what I can yes. see. So she's still, yeah, she's, still in- playing, she's still playing games. Um, her favorite food is like red velvet cupcakes with ube frosting. She's still being klutzy and she's very hyperactive, which you wouldn't expect to see in like this diabolical demon that's been around for thousands of years. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, we we do get to see a lot of Marcy in this core yeah so um andreas comes across an old an old portrait that uh, he'd uh, he'd ripped up back you know back uh, back a while ago and uh, this is where we basically get another flashback so yeah basically we get a second show with a flashback <laughs> <laughs> So, how coincidental. How coincidental, yeah. Like, uh, mind you, it like... It's uh, tied into what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah, like, but here's the thing about this. Like, you know, it, it doesn't... It, mind you, doesn't it feel kind of eerie? Like, you know, the Owl House and Amphibia have, like, somewhat linear kind of, like, themes, you know, building on this week. And, you know, like I said, like, you know, we're building up to All In. 
Like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. that was the, that was so the fight. We, we have the, we, yeah, so we have the Owl House in which we get the introduction of Ida and Rain, but then it all ties up together to the Day of Unity. And in this episode, we have the introduction of King Andreas when he was younger and he was becoming king when his father decides to pass on to him in the rule. And we get to see the Calamity Box. We get to see who his friends were. And then it all leads up into conquering the Earth so that they can be able to use its resources imagine if the day of unity and king andreas like they invade on the same day holy shit and they, and they had a meeting they had a meeting with one another it's like wait a second this is this is supposed to be our day of unity no this is supposed to be the day that i invade the earth and then the emperor's covenant and like king andreas is like robots all start fighting each other yeah, and exactly stuff. emperor bella saying i've been waiting 50 years for this or, well, no. well, i've been waiting then- thousands of years <laughs> Mine's bigger yeah, than yours. Life. Stay in your lane. <laughs> oh, oh that'd be hilarious. Mind you, that'd mind, be great. Uh, mind you, imagine if uh, uh, what a day in infamy that would be for America. It's like you know, on, one, on like on the east coast, you know, it's being invaded by witches, and like on the on the other side of the coast, it's invaded by like fur frogs and um, robots. Like you know, like which which emergency do you deal with first? <laughs> Okay, we have this call from the president saying, like, okay, uh, we have witches who are, com- you know, going into the East Coast. They're conquering Connecticut. There's this giant titan's head in the background. Oh, but wait, we have another phone call saying, like, okay, we have a robotic frog's robot and toads and newts taking over California. And then, you know, probably down in Texas, they're probably like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, and it, and it. <laughs> And then when Joe Biden hears about it, he's like, well, let me just ask my imaginary friend I shook, shook hands with just before. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, moving away from that. Uh, so, Amphibia. Uh, so, um, in this episode, so we get a flashback. And uh, this is back when um, Andreas was friends with a toad and a frog. So, the frog is called Leaf. And uh, I ought to forgive me. I've forgotten the name of the toad. Uh, what's Barrel. Uh, Barrel. So, um, so, they were basically very close friends. And uh, th- this was at the time when Andreas basically was ascending to the throne. And uh, yes. so, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, his his father is really, really untrustworthy of other people, including like having friends near him. And he's even like saying to Andreas, "Look, you, you know, don't have friends around you because basically they're going to manipulate you." And uh, Andreas yeah. going like, "No, no, like you know, they're just going to help me and stuff like that." So, um, uh, his father gives him the key to the magic to the to the music box that they have, and uh, so. Um, basically, that he says he's going to put you in charge of like invading another planet. And basically, so it looks like the 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 newts have basically been invading worlds pretty much for like you know a, a long time. So like this is something that isn't new, isn't isn't new to them. So yeah, yeah. That- they've been not only yeah like multiple worlds in multiple universes. They've been doing this for who knows how long. And that, the reason why is because it's the controlling of the core. And we saw this with King Andreas's dad's crown that this has been happening that the core really wants to control all of these worlds from all of these, um, uh, you know, different universes. And the reason why is because they, they, they can be able to continue getting resources you know what, you so know that something. their land There's, lives in peace. Yeah, you know something. And, you know, like, I'm sorry to keep, like, crossing between the Owl House and Amphibia, but, so, you know, they say that they've been invading worlds and putting, like, you know, and be conquering stuff. Like, imagine if it was, like, uh, imagine if it was Andreas who put Bellos in charge. Wow. Wow. Like, uh, oh. that's just coming to my head. Good grief. Anyway, sorry, everybody. I'll, I'll try and move away from theory, so I'll try, you know, yeah, I'll try yeah, to save it. That's fine, that's fine. Right, okay, so... so, um, so we, we have this uh, moment where, um, you know, uh, King Andreas' father gives him the key, and then 
he um you know they 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 decide to sneak in and open the door and so when leaf touches the calamity box she receives this vision of like what's happening in the future and it's all about like you know they're conquering the different worlds and then planet earth and then there's this huge meteor that's crashing down and then she tries to warn um aldrich that's that's what his name is okay so she warns king aldrich that we cannot use the calamity box because i see a dark um you know moment that's going to be happening in the future and then we have um you know her being like walking away saying like well thank you for letting us know we'll take it from here and then he tells andreas it's like you you know you need to you know you cannot just rely on your friends because now she's a traitor and it, then we see the moment in which when he trusts his son to hold the key but then we have um you know leaf taking the key from andreas and she steals the box and then there was a moment in which Beryl was trying to stop her, but then, you know, he got distracted. And so then Leaf disappears and then Andreas kind of like banishes Beryl saying, now you're just going to be in the front lines with the other Toads, which is where we got the introduction of how Toads became the warriors in Amphibia. And then we have, um, you know, Andreas told by his dad, now that you're the ruler, you cannot trust on people. And so this is when he starts building the fact that, you know, people cannot be trusted. And it's kind of like Lotso Hugging Bear from Toy Story 3, in which he personally feels that he was being betrayed when in reality, you know, he was, you know, there, something else happened and then he took it just way too far. Yeah. So um, it looks to me like, uh, so that, that whole friendship just falls apart pretty much. Like uh, by the way, um, Leaf goes to the Olms and uh, gives them the so basically gives them the music box. But it's interesting to see well, I mean, like uh, after that, like uh, I guess we're still yet to hear about how it actually ended up in the human realm. Yeah, like, we don't like... know about that. Yeah, we we know that the Olms were able to receive the Calamity Box, which is how the prophecy came to me. We know that part, but how did it end up on Earth? Where is Leaf? There's still so many questions that we don't know about. Yeah, like I mean, is Leaf still alive? Like, uh, I mean, it's been over a thousand years. I doubt it. I but then again, in this show, I mean, King Andreas was able to live a thousand years, so I have no idea. No idea, but uh, mind you, like, it, it'd be interesting to see if, uh, you know, uh, um, Leaf went to the went to the Earth realm and uh, then she li basically lived out her, her days basically being on Earth. And maybe, maybe that's the reason why she, like, that's the reason maybe the, uh, all the stuff ended up in the pawn shop, maybe. Maybe she owned the pawn shop. Like, uh... um, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, that, that's still a lot of questions. And, and then, then people were bringing up the fact that Leaf looks a lot like Sprig. Same color with the skin, the same color hair. A lot of people think that maybe that Sprig and Polly are like the descendants of Leaf. Mm, maybe. So, uh, it's uh, interesting, like, because, uh, I mean, we don't know too much about their parents, I don't think. Like, uh, we know that no, they got killed. The parents died, the parents died, uh, you know, when um, Sprig and Polly were very young. So we don't know anything about them. Exactly. But we never brought them up. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, we don't even know, like, what they did and, like, what they were about and everything like that. So, like, uh, it still leaves questions about, like, uh, what, their, what their purpose is in the story, pretty much. Like, yeah. uh, same thing with Luz's dad. Like, uh, we don't exactly, we know that he's, we know that he's passed away, but uh, we don't actually know what his... Uh, exactly who he was and what he was about 
you know? I mean, I, I think at some point that Leaf must have been into the human realm because not only is the Calamity Box on Earth, but if you remember that in, in the episode in which when, you know, Anne and the planters went over to the museum and Dr. Jan was showing them the, the clay pot, we see that Leaf had the Calamity Box and she was showing it to a bunch of Vikings. So I think that she was in the human realm at one point. Yeah, so like, uh, it, it was interesting to see where... You know what 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 became of her, I think, and uh, basically yeah, where she I, is I, now. I mean, I'm sure at some point we will get that revealed, but wow, I mean that this episode revealed so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that was Amphibia, and uh, so besides all the speculation of where we're going to go next, I think uh, there's not really much else really to kind of discuss with uh, you know the yeah, Amphibia I mean, at this stage. Yeah, next week's episode we have. Uh, Newton Tights and Fight or Flight. So, uh, Newton Tights is about while on a recon mission, Anne and Sprig confront an old mentor, and then Fight or Flight, um, according to its plot synopsis, it says Anne tries to rescue an old friend from one of King Andreas's robot camps. Okay. But until then, everybody, um, we will discuss those episodes next week. And so, uh, have a good week, everybody, and I hope you enjoy all the theories that we're enjoying right now. And uh, yeah, <laughs> take care, everybody, and uh, we'll see you. Ne- we'll see you soon. See you guys. <laughs>